This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday. You made it. You did it. Oh, we're so proud of you. You made it another week. I mean, some of you are just getting started. Yes, the crowds are going wild. And, uh, of course, we're not talking about BYU football has made it another week because we won't know until tomorrow. Yeah, this is true. But they're playing UNLV, so... UNLV is expected to win, let's just say. Ah! With their with Blasted. BYU's first two quarterbacks out of commission. Yeah. They still have... I still have yet to get a call. I keep thinking they're going to ask me to play. That's why I'm wearing my BYU... Really? Shirt today. Showing well, you, the proper amount of loyalty. You'd mm-hmm. have to squeeze into... Mm, you'd have to fit into... Or wow. You'd have to what don... Was, you'd have to don a don uniform. Think skinny, Matt. You'll make it. I don't think you need to be skinny to play football. Athletically, sure. I, they call me Wiley. I'm a Wiley player. Do they have a speech impediment? <laughs> And is your name Riley? No, no, no. Wiley. Wiley. Okay. I'm like a coyote. How would, you, how would you define Wiley? Just, I'm scrappy. Mm. Do you have stick to Sinewy. No, 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 no. It's got to be Wiley Are, and in parentheses some Latin phrase. Are you a gamer? Yeah, that's right. Do you have an it oh, yeah. factor that's hard to describe? Well, yeah. Are we just doing a sports no. pregame show now? I got major it factor. Yeah, some people look at him and say... It. What, what is, is it? it? <laughs> that is so rude. Are you the kind of guy someone looks at and goes, that guy, he's a winner. I don't yeah. know what it is, but mm-hmm. he just he they, wins. They always say there's something about that he's guy. He's not really athletic. He doesn't really do anything that he's required to do well, but he wins. Do you know what I get a lot of? It's the Tim Tebow effect. He's got that je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. I don't know what that means. I know. Thanks for the translation. Je ne sais quoi. He's got that I don't know what it is. Huh. I don't know what it is. So you are, you feel, yeah. the secret weapon to turn what's left of the BYU football season around. Well, let's just say this. Okay. I've been playing, foot, uh, I think it's Madden football on my phone. Is oh. Madden? Is it called Madden? Really? Is it highly complicated and overly cumbersome? It might be Madden on your phone. Yeah, it is. And I'm pretty good. Not to brag. I'm, I'm, I've got a lot of this je ne sais quoi. Anyway, we'll get it, you. We'll get you an update on my gameplay. It's fun when they take a video game that has nineteen buttons involved in it on a console, yeah. and try to squish it onto a touchscreen oh, yeah. with all the gestures. Yeah, and you it makes it impossible me, to play. You should see me do a skill move. Right, I'm going to use the truck stick. Push here. the skill move. Push the skill move. I bet you're the type of player that always gets penalized though because you celebrate a touchdown for way too long. I do. That's. I like choreographing a really big. Like I like to have an ensemble gather oh, nice. in the end zone and then choreograph. I mean, last time I did something from Rent. Uh, you did the Macarena we, one we did time. The Macarena. You call a couple guys off the mm-hmm. bench because you need extra bodies for the oh, yeah. presentation. Yeah, Gang, We did Gangnam Style oh, nice. before Gangnam Style was in style. Really? In fact, many say we put the style in Gangnam Style. Wow. It was a good time. Uh, by the way, that reminds me. I do need to – in fact, will you make a note of this, Terry? Will you make a note? I need to get back to town to Nabby. Really? What's going on there? I don't know. I haven't been there for little months. Citizen revolt going on? I just am worried that Are there I, pitchforks and fire at the gates? You got to take care of your Sim City. You do. Because a lot of stuff can go crazy. Yeah. And I, I feel like I'm Trump abroad. Once you go abroad, right. 
A lot of stuff can happen back home. There's a lot going on. In fact, by the way, Trump is in Vietnam. He is. He left Melania in China. Hmm. I don't know if that was an accident or... <laughs> you didn't make the plane. Sorry. We had Where to go. were you? You were um, late. But then apparently he just shook hands with Putin. They had a handshake. Yes, they said there's not going to be... Now, the Kremlin reported there was going to be an official yeah. sit-down meeting. Oh, there's going to the be White a meeting. The White House this morning said there's no time for a meeting. There's not much time. But they may pass in a hallway and shake hands. But apparently... Which means there's going to be a meeting. Just like he wasn't going to go to the DMZ, but yeah. he tried. Maybe there'll be foggy and he won't be yeah. able to see Putin. Uh, but apparently last time they were at one of these meetings, they weren't going to meet. And they ended up meeting. And then the White House says it was just a short chat. Yeah. It was an hour-long chat. Yeah. That was not even really reported on, mm-hmm. which it seems like Trump ought not meet with Putin without an audience. Eh, it just seems like Mueller might be worried. Well, there's that photo of uh, President Obama when he sat down with Putin at a meeting. Yeah. And he, they each had an advisor sitting right yeah. there with him. And a translator. Yeah. And then the, probably the reason you don't want to do it in the lobby of a hotel is because there's cameras everywhere. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but. I mean, have someone with you. I I would. But again, I'm not under – I don't have half my staff under investigation. Yet. Yet, but yeah, I don't know if I'd – did you guys get the memo? We could. There is a special investigator here. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. There's some been improprieties in the way we've been using some of the paper with the copy machine. Mm. So they're investigating, making okay, sure well, it's all in the You know, my Y time just disappeared yesterday, okay. so I can't log in remotely. Yeah, sorry. So maybe this has something to do with it. In fact, they do want you to meet with HR after the show. I always get a little worried when my key card doesn't work the first time on the door to get in. Yeah. You're like, uh-oh. Then you try it again. Whew, I'm still employed. Good job. <gasps> that was so close. The witch hunt has not got me yet. <laughs> it's Friday, folks, so you can relax. You know, your week is really effectively over. Unless except except for the next eight hours. Yeah. You still need to get your eight hours in. <clears throat> Blasted. Let's let Terry get his eight hours in by getting to the headlines. What's going on, Terry? We should be paying attention to. Four women have come forward to the Washington Post alleging that Roy Moore, currently the GOP nominee for Senate in Alabama, pursued them for sexual relationships when they were teenagers. Uh-oh. More than one of the women reportedly said he pursued her when she was only 14. Oh, no. Alabama State Auditor Jim Ziegler, who supports Moore, reportedly brushed off the allegations. Even if you accept the Washington Post report as being completely true... It's much to do about very little. This according to the mm-hmm. Montgomery Advisor. It's a local paper there. But, you know, I mean, the allegation Hold is... Four- even if they're true? A 14-year-old was had an uh, inappropriate conversation type situation with a 32-year-old man. But this guy that's uh, a... That's much to do state, about it, much. Yeah, uh, even if it's mm. true, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. Now, this is the guy that uh, is running for the seat that Sessions left? Yes. I wonder what... Sessions would say. He hasn't said anything yet. You know what's crazy about that? Louis C.K., his movie that was going to premiere, which was canceled, uh, is about his daughter having an inappropriate relationship with an older man. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, It's just, it's It's, all this weird. And now Louis C.K. is under investigation. It's sad. Uh, Alabama Roy Moore sent a fundraising email Thursday afternoon asking for don- donations to combat the Obama-Clinton machine's liberal media lapdogs. Hold Hours. on. This, so huh? he's blaming all of them for this. Yeah. This, that's what the Washington Post is doing, just trying to take him out. They, uh, so he's saying basically, send me money so I can combat this. It's all lies. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell reacted by saying if the allegations are true, then Moore needs to step down. Yeah. 
Which is kind of what everyone said. Didn't the White House say two things? You got you, you got to be careful throwing somebody under the bus for allegations that are so old and and unsubstantiated. Right. But if he did do it, he needs to get out now. The article had four women step forward with their names, so they're yeah. not. No, they're anonymous, not. anonymous, right? And they had 30 other people they had sourced to find the information. And apparently all underage. Right. Oh, so, eh, we'll see where this goes. On Thursday, mm. Senate, uh, Lindsey Graham, wait, the Senate on, oh, this is funny, on Thursday, una- the Senate unanimously approved a resolution to implement mandatory sexual harassment training for all senators, in addition to their staffers and interns. Hey, I can do the voiceover for so- those. Great. Uh, Chuck Grassley from Iowa and Amy Kolbachler from Minnesota are the ones behind this. Under the legislation, lawmakers, aides, and interns will be required to complete the training within 60 days and of at least one each congressional session. They'll have to be able to complete that training. Love it. And let's do the same thing for Congress. For the House, yeah. And the House. And let's do the exact same thing for the executive branch. Justices, everybody. And half of the judiciary. Because the other half are, yeah. (laughs) At least they're really tired. A Thursday, Senator Lindsey Graham was asked by an NBC producer, what happens if the GOP isn't able to pass tax reform? Graham said the party fractures. Most incumbents in 2018 will get a severe primary challenge. A lot of them probably will lose. The base will fracture. The financial contributions will stop. Other than that, it'll be fine. Mm. Graham is not the first GOP congressman to admit that the party's financial contributions are somewhat reliant on the passage of a tax bill. Uh, Chris Collins from New York told a reporter, my donors are basically saying, get it done or don't ever call me again. Whoa. That's what the donors are saying? Yeah. And so Politico reported in early October that many GOP donors were frustrated by Congress's inaction, that donations to the Republican Party had stalled after their repeated failures yeah. to repeal Obamacare. If they, if, It's true, though. If they can't get this done, they are in trouble. And so far, it looks like there's conflict. So we'll see what happens. The Senate and wow. the House both have their – the House bill got out of committee. The Senate presented their bill. There's stark differences between what they're trying to do. Like the Senate does not have an Obamacare repeal. Oh, wow. The Senate has seven brackets instead of four. It's not quite as far as President Trump would like it to go. So we'll see where this Hey, but at least we got Gorsuch through. <laughs> Gorsuch happened. <laughs> That's yeah. what they're going to keep bringing up for the next four years if they can't get – Legislation passed. Uh, 80% of Puerto Rico back into darkness after a major oh, power line mm. failure yesterday. Some, uh, I think a tree or something fell on a line, and now 43% of the island had recovered. Hold it. One tree fell on a line. It was, it was a major power line through the... I mean... A really big tree fell well, on a major... But whatever it was, it yeah. was taken out pretty much with a singular event. It was a singular event. 43% of the island oh. had power. Now only 18% of the island has power. How's that Montana company doing? They were the ones that apparently repaired this line. Oh. Now, I'm not saying they did a no, shoddy job. Sure. Something fell on it. Yeah. So, and Ooh. you're in a crazy situation. They're still trying to Palm pick up trees debris. swinging in the wind. So, they're back into darkness. That's my favorite country song, by oh, the way. Oh, don't you remember Palm that? Palm trees swaying in the wing. Yeah, those are the days. And after all that, a brightness yeah. of hope. Where? The National Toy Hall of Fame. Oh. They're getting three new entrants. Really? Yeah. Is one? Uh, I bet one involves a superhero. No, the board Woo! the board game Clue. Right? <gasps> Loved that game. The Wiffle Ball. I Love that ball. And the paper airplane. Yes. Hold it. What? It's but a toy. It's a self made toy. Well, sure. So? Huh? Hmm. <laughs> it's a self made toy. Yeah. I guess this is the Toy Hall of Fame. But isn't it fun? 
Is it great? Does yeah. it cause I've never, hours of enjoyment? I was never good at paper So airplanes. if you're a self-made man, then you're saying you're not real a real man. That's basically what you're saying. No, I was thinking wow. that these were like manufactured toys. And well, I thought somebody was trying oh, to take credit for the paper airplane. No, no, no. When, no. We're, when we, the people, are the ones that do all the work. In their description, they even say there it's unclear who invented the paper airplane. Oh, please. They talk about Da Vinci, about the airplane. Adam, like, we all know it was they, Adam and Eve we on all, a family home evening. I thought it was Al Gore. That was the internet. <gasps> That's oh, different. Yeah. Um, so uh, they, they also say that. You know, many variations. People have enjoyed this from childhood. Yeah. If you I was never it, good at them. If you ha- well, you, were, you, you, were you good at them? I was all right. Occasionally, I could not do it. Occasionally, I'd hit one that could, you know, nail the front of the class. Yeah, mine were never tight enough and strong enough. This year's other finalists. Yes. The Game of Risk. Mm. Magic 8-Ball. People like the Magic 8-Ball. Yeah, if you like like the dark arts. Mag- matchbox, <laughs> matchbox Cars. Oh, if that you was just my life. Couldn't quite get the Hot Wheel. You could go with the Matchbox. Oh, don't diss a Matchbox car. Come on, Hot Wheels. When I was a kid, made out of metal. Matchbox, eh, maybe some sort of tin, aluminum. Pewter. What about micro machines that you could dip in water and they would change colors? Yeah, those were kind of fun. They're mm. not on the list. Yeah, but they were toxic. Actually, those weren't micro machines. Those were Hot Wheels. Well, the Hot Wheels or micro machines had them too. Oh, okay. My brother had some. Sorry. Uh, um, other 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 entries that didn't make yeah, the final. Yeah. Uh, My Little Pony, Pez candy dispensers. Mm. They just call it play food. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Never been a Pez guy. Sand. There was always something about bending the head of an animal back yeah. until play. something pops out their neck. That always grossed me out. Well, for me, it was like, why am I eating pills? Yeah, good it's, point. It's pretty very gross. good point. They just have sand here. I'm not sure if it's a special kind of sand or just sand in general. Did dirt make the list? (laughs) Kids, gather around and play with this sand. Uh, Transformers are on the list. Really? And the card game Uno. Dos. Tres. Cuatro. Cinco. Uh, Talk to me about um, your favorite Matchbox car. Describe it for me. I didn't have one. Your your favorite Hot Wheels car. You Um, You really shopped brand. No, it's just I ended up with more Hot Wheels than Matchbox. I always wanted, I also, yeah, there's I, certain cars I, also, I, I also knew the level of uh, love and concern that the giver of such gift had for me if it was a Hot Wheels versus a Matchbox. Really? Yeah. Wow, you're shallow. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. As a kid, I was like, you know, I, it's, it's the same thing with my parents when they went with the GoBots rather than the Transformers. I'm so glad I missed that stage. I was like, really, Mom? You're giving me GoBots. Okay. Yeah, I was the same way when it was either an Izod uh-huh. or a Fox shirt with from Mervyn's. Right. If it was an Izod, then you knew, you're the bomb. Mom loves you. Okay. But if it was a Fox, yeah. eh, going mm. to Mervyn's. Mm. What about Maxbox or Matchbox 20? That was a good Matchbox. That was a band. Yeah. My favorite Matchbox car of all time, a yellow Mercedes of convertible coupe. You're, you're that kind of person. Not to brag, but that's when I used to be a doctor, and I All would right. drive to my Matchbox City Hospital, and I was dating a nurse. Mm. Wait, this really happened? Yeah, yeah, this yeah whole it really happened when I was eight. Oh. And then I'd watch Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, yeah, there we go. And then I had a I had a Boss Hog, yeah. white Cadillac convertible. I had one of those. Don't bring up Dukes of Hazard today. I know. Don't There's, do it. It's all right. Let's just say one of the Dukes of. He's not it's, made great life choices after after the fact. One of the Dukes has been creating hazards. <laughs> Darn it. Well, um, yeah. I loved Matchbox cars. They were my life. 
Or, I mean, I always called them Matchbox cars, but it, they were a lot of them were Hot Wheels. They're, I just didn't, Matchbox, you're a quality I, I would, toy. I would, I would really. I'd find quarters and I'd go over and buy a new car. Right. Now, Those were the days when you could buy a car for like a buck. Now they're like a dollar and a half. Oh, I, really? I yeah. was more of a box car guy, you know. Yeah, like a, with those those kids that were yeah the, orphans and that lived in the box car the box car children made their own stew. Yeah, that's what you, you looked familiar. <laughs> you looked so familiar. Hey, uh, crazy. Um, talk about as the world turns. By mm. the way, one of my favorite soap operas. Right. Up. Sure. Yeah. Um, Aaron Hernandez. Yes. One of the like biggest falls yeah. from fame ever, right? And then murdered a man. He was a Patriot basketball or football player. Yep. Tight end. Super Bowl champion. Yep. Huge then, brand new contract because he's a great he was, player. What was, that? was he a tight end? Yeah. Bad to the bone. Incredible athlete. And then he gets involved in, in a bad possibly two murders. Two murders. That goes to jail. Then, that seemed to be gang-related executions, yeah. too, so it was kind of a weird situation Then, there. though, they he then kills himself, yep. sadly, and then In they prison. take his brain and they yeah. evaluate his brain, and he has, according to the doctors today, they've announced the worst case of CTE, which is- uh, Degenerative brain disease yeah. that comes with- The neurodegenerative ooh, brain disease. It's been associated with concussions in the NFL, yeah. Uh, of anybody his age ever reported. Yeah. My goodness. Stage three, uh, stage four is the highest. For a 27-year-old, it's like never found. Stage three is never found in someone's brain. Does that have anything to do with his extracurricular activities? And they said inevitably that probably caused a lot of his behavior. Hmm. Plus, he had a a lot of stuff going on in his early days too. So that may have seeded it. But – this this is this can't be good news for the person. There was a study that came out about a week ago, that, or a week or two ago, that found that uh, the people on the field who would you think has the most uh, threat of having one of these brain oh, injuries? This is on, obvious. A, on a football. This field. is totally obvious. Uh, the guys that hold the flags on the the stand, the, <laughs> the, the 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 yard signs. What are they called? The the yard, yeah, the sticks. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the stick guys because um, they're always getting nailed. Stickers. People would think maybe a running back. Oh yeah, or a linebacker. Or a linebacker. What they're finding is it's the offense and defensive linemen. Really? Because it's the small, repeated oh, bang, bang, hits bang. rather than maybe just a big one every once in a while. Yeah. You get these little ones, and it just it, it'll shake your your brain, right? And you get like a just so many build up over time that all those little ones can be worse off for you than the, the big, big hit. mega hit. The big mega hit that will happen. So, it's a big uh, – it's a, it's not – and remember there was a Kansas City Chiefs player that mm-hmm. shot himself. In the parking lot of the, the stadium. In the parking lot of the stadium. Yeah. So I think we're going to find out a lot of that violence that is around the NFL and also the MMA and also mm-hmm. uh, call it the world – the WM. WWE, the, the wrestling. The, yeah, the – this fake wrestling. Sure. Uh, a lot of violence around those, and a lot of it's probably these head injuries. Do you think, based on your lack of complete experience yes, going with concussions? Because, yeah, watching television, though. If they just took off the pads and helmets. Yes. Would that, I yeah. mean, because people feel very uh-huh. brave and protected oh, when yeah. you're covered in plastic. That's why they just destroy each other out there. But if you take all that off, yeah. then it turns into rugby. If you watch rugby, mm-hmm. it's still a very rough game, nowhere near as violent as the NFL. I'm a totally if different you, sumo fighter 
when mm. I'm in a sumo suit right. than I am when I'm just naked. And you're just yeah. And so they're all. If you take away the armor, you take yeah. away the protection. Totally. You then people different. aren't going to run into each other, and I think I, you'll cut down I on these. I think they're going to have to. Wouldn't you love seeing some tiptoeing, timid football players just like touching each other on the shoulders? Yeah, like two you're down. No. Got you're, you. I got you're you. You're down. Now you can keep <laughs> all the physicality of the sport. Yeah, it just won't be as violent. You, now I don't know would. if that'll translate to being interesting to watch. Wasn't well, that rugby? <laughs> that's what kind of rugby is. But yeah, I mean, you could keep American football rules. So I'm not yeah. sure if that would work. But it's a well, you just idea. can't. You just won't have these major hits that yeah. knock somebody out. I think it's. I think it's. It's. It will have to go that way. Eventually, it seems like there's going to start being lawsuits. Not. I mean, the NFL might be able to tamp those down. They've tried. There's a movie about it. But I. Yeah, there is. But I. You know who it's going to hit? It's going to hit college. And so when all of these college athletes come back and start suing their universities, it's going to all change. Something's going to have to happen. Right. And then everyone's going to go blame their fathers. For making them play football when they were young. You made me play. Mom, he pushed me. Oh, it's crazy. But isn't it, again, we thought this man was just this horrible, vile human murderer and really major disability. And isn't that interesting? Be careful how you judge because we don't know what's going on inside someone's skull. Uh, anyway, we, up next, we've got a really interesting guest. We're going to be talking about daylight saving time. Is it actually worth the trouble? And do you even know why we do it? Is it about farming? Maybe not. It's really an energy, energy policy. We'll talk about it up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Since the change on Sunday, when we moved our clocks an hour back, you may have noticed that your drive into work is a little bit brighter and your drive home is a little bit darker. Or uh, if you forgot, you may have been an hour early to a few things on Sunday. But uh, the switch uh, into daylight savings time, you know, it's a very common thing. And it actually seems like every year that we do it, um, or twice a year that we do it, it, it brings up the same discussion. So we wanted to bring in an expert who could help us understand daylight savings time a little bit more. Uh, who better to help us with that than Lara Grant? She's an assistant professor at Claremont McKenna College, where she teaches intermediate micro economics and public economics and wrote a wonderful article on the subject in the conversation uh, com titled is daylight savings time worth the trouble according to uh, researchers no Lara, thank you so much for being with us today thank you for having me what's your take so overall do we still need daylight saving time well, this is a complicated subject, and if I've learned one thing from doing research on daylight saving time, it's that absolutely everybody has a strong opinion on it, and they can <laughs> yeah. go either direction. And I get to hear everybody's anecdotes about it now that I study it. Yeah. So I'll hear one person about how their kids go to school in the dark during the end of daylight saving time, and they don't like that because, you know, it's dangerous, and it feels um, a little... Um, uh, it's un- it's uncertain and yeah. uncomfortable for the yeah. children, and um, you know other people who say no, I need to come home from work and have some daylight after work. So I feel like there's this tension, and each of us has our individual take on it. But what I try to do is aggregate up a bunch of data, and I look at it from an energy standpoint. Okay. So there's a lot of there's a lot of standpoints to look for it from, but the reason that I look at it from an energy standpoint is because unknown to most people, 
this isn't some policy to just simply shift when you go to work or school. It's that it's supposed to shift how much energy you use. Okay. It's, oh, it's been an energy policy act, and so it's enacted within the energy policies. So we should find out whether it actually saves energy, right? No, right. That's and and I mean the the thing I always heard was it's for the farmers; they need more daylight. <laughs> but but you're saying as far as a policy for the government, it was an energy policy. Yeah, I, I don't know where this misconception that it's for the farmers yeah, right. is because I, I hear I hear it too. But um, the farmers don't like it. They like <laughs> to get up before us and get their work done. Right. And you know, they they just follow the sun no matter what. So they're pretty good about having their own schedule regardless of what the clock says. So okay, they're, they're, they're It's not for them. But yes, so the the government says it should save energy. And what I did uh, with a co-author, Matthew Cotton, who's at Yale University. Uh, we looked at daylight saving time implementation in Indiana. It turned out Indiana, a state that is in the middle of the country, didn't practice daylight saving time for a long time. Mm. And then they changed to practicing daylight saving time. So we had this really nice natural experiment to see what happened to their energy use before and after. There you go. And so we did a t- grabbed a ton of data. We looked at 3 million months of household data, it's a lot of data mm. over many years. And what we found, I'll, I'll explain what we found, and then the intuition comes afterwards. But we okay. found that they actually use they use more energy because of daylight saving time. Oh, really? So, so those, they yeah, by instituting it, they it cost them more. Exactly. So this is not good from an energy policy act. And when you start looking at the other literature, people who have looked at this in other countries and other states, it's pretty much the same. They either cost more energy or about the same. So you're really not saving energy. So my bottom one bottom line is that daylight saving time might be good for some people or have some benefits, but it's it's not energy. So this is it's actually I mean again, we're doing things for I guess some reason or is it it's just actually more tradition maybe than actual cost savings. I had no idea the history of this, but tell us about Ben Franklin and how this <laughs> was an energy saving conservation approach. Yes, yes. If you have a chance, this is a great essay by Ben Franklin. He was living in France at the time, I believe Paris, and he wrote this whimsical write up that said basically, Oh my gosh, I just I happened to wake up early one morning. I went for a walk, and it was so quiet. Nobody was awake. And then I realized that we were sleeping in, and at night we would stay up late having fun and waste candlelight. So basically mm. he said that we'd have this, the economic, the economics of sunshine should come out. And he wanted to um, cling bells in the morning and ban shutters. And this is a bit satirical, but he was basically proposing let's, let's implement something to get people up earlier in the morning and align our day with sunlight. And I think that intuition is correct. Basically, if we align our day more with natural daylight, we will save on lighting costs. That is costs great. Are not, are not the biggest costs that we have when it comes to energy. Right. Heating and air conditioning turn out to be a lot stronger. And so what we found with our research is, think about a week ago, we were in the dark, waking up in the dark. Our houses were really cold. You're going to probably wake up and turn on your both your lights and your heating because you've woken up and you need to get to work. Right, right. Right? So there was this problem. That's what we were finding. So we found a big, big problem with energy use in the late fall when we were waking up in the dark and it was cold in our house. We also found more energy use in the middle of the summer when it's super hot. And now because we've aligned our day with sunlight, 
We've also aligned our day with the hottest part of the day. You get home. It's hot in your house. You want to crank up the air conditioning, right? So that's, that's why you use more. And daylight saving time causes more energy use in the middle of the summer. It's also why Arizona doesn't practice daylight saving time. They, they realize this and they think they've thought to, this through. Sleep. Yes, let's sleep through some of the hot part of the day. You know what? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? But the rest of us are all are all out there doing that. Indiana had not had stopped doing it, uh, and then for some reason went back to it. And then, uh, do you know why they chose to go back to it, even though the data well, didn't necessarily support it? Well, the data said it after the fact. So they're a little upset that we found that they yeah, I bet. They, they, they cost more. I, and I get that. But here's the reason they went to it and why I think it's still very valid and important that they did it. Economic coordination between states really matters. So if you ever flew into Indianapolis when they were not on daylight saving time, but the rest of us were, you just go from forward an hour, fall back an yeah, hour. Sure. You just didn't know what time it was. Yeah. And that really messes up the coordination between markets. And so I would say one of the biggest values is that no matter what, we do have to decide what we're going to do collectively and all do it. Otherwise, airplanes don't know when to land and can don't have places to taxi into to drop off their passengers. And uh, the New York Stock Exchange is more off with different places sure. and, and other factors. So there's these huge factors of coordination that, that for one thing, you, we really all have to decide. You can't just decide. So a lot of, in fact, a lot of states are deciding, even currently, this is still a debate, whether to drop daylight saving time or keep it. And a state-by-state policy starts to get pretty messy in this case. It does. And it seems like um, like President Obama seems like the kind of president uh, he's, you know, he's tra- environmentally friendly. It seems like it would be a really great thing to do as the president. We, it needs to be a cohesive effort at a federal level. I do, I do believe that. And so there, there needs to be, you can't just have voters randomly deciding state by state because you're going to have, like I said, these strong feelings and, if I had to guess, your somebody's individual feelings about daylight saving time are highly correlated with where they are in their time zone. Mm. And let me say what I mean by that. Yeah. So I actually grew up in Rapid City, South Dakota, which is on the far east side of mountain time zone. It means that it the sun gets up very early <laughs> there. Okay. Yeah. It means if we didn't have daylight saving time, the sun would always be up really early. But then I moved to Boise, Idaho. It turns out that is a thousand miles away, but still in the same time zone way out west. Now the sun's up really late. We don't need daylight saving time out there. So there's a real distinction in the same time zone of how the sun interacts with your day to day. And so I, I guess then if you're going to make the argument, you ought to make the argument about how it interacts with your day, not uh, keep pretending like it's going to save you um, energy when it really isn't. Yes, you know what I think? I think daylight saving time gets a bad rap and is the culprit when really the true culprit is our rigid work schedules and our rigid school schedules. True, huh? And, you know, the winter days, they're they're just short. And you're going to be going to the work in the dark or coming home in the dark. Hopefully not both, yeah. but it's it's just the days are short. And same with school. And a lot of studies have shown that Students don't do that well early in the morning anyway. Maybe we do need to be thinking a little bit more about flexible flexible policies 
that shift our work and school schedules a little more naturally with the sun rather than have work be so rigid and shift our clocks. Well, and two, it might make more sense to just, I mean, who wants to sit in a schoolroom without air conditioning when it's hot anyway? I mean, maybe you would want to go earlier. Absolutely. So I think these are some trade-offs that I think need a little bit more thoughtfulness rather than just this Two time a year hour shift. Didn't your didn't your research also show that uh, it does it does impact crime rates and uh, and it other outdoor activities? So I want to I want to shout out to some other great researchers. But I didn't study study the crime aspect, but um, some other colleagues in uh, economics did, and they found that daylight saving time. So this is a positive is that it does reduce crime rates. And you can think of that as because, let's say you get home from work, you often walk the dog or do some errands, and if there's more light after work, you're going to be less likely to have these um, crimes of opportunity. Right. You know, muggings, these things that are kind of the negative things that tend to happen a little more after dark under the guise of, you know, uh, darkness. and the shadows. easier for that yeah. to happen. Yes, the shadows, for sure. So... They found a pretty strong relationship there, and so that's kind of that. That tends to be a benefit. So you can see how this starts to get complicated when you start. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's crime. There's also car accidents. Um, it's nicer to drive in the light, and we tend to do better as humans driving in the light. So daylight saving time tends over the whole period to have better driving. However, right about now, when all of us are feel jet lagged from our one hour change on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. We're not doing as well because we don't know what time it is, and we well, there tends to be more crashes right around daylight saving time shifts because we've messed up our sleep schedule, really. So there's these short-run things that mess up our sleep schedule, and we don't make as good of decisions, and we might not be as productive at work and school right around that. All these things mess with our circadian rhythm, so you can also think of those as short-run or ephemeral costs to just messing with our clock, like jet lag. It's really interesting, too, that we... We um, we're not naturally. We should just naturally be following the sun, like every other living thing. Um, but instead, we kind of create these really weird interventions, and then we then I, then a lot of us are so habitualized to them that we the idea of changing them is crazy. Absolutely, we do. We kind of get this bias towards tradition, and I totally agree with you. So, I an anecdote for me. I there's a park near my house here in Claremont, California, and it it changes its schedule every month according to the sun, and I just love it. I think this is great. So it opens up basically around dawn, and it closes around dusk, and those change by the month, so I need to notice that. That's great. That the whole community is changing and shifting with that, and I notice the whole community gets up and does their morning walk, and they are therefore more naturally moving with the sun, and I think this is a really neat trigger for for me and hopefully my community to sort of realize that you can do that shift and and that you can incorporate that into your schedule That's so true. dawn to dusk but so what time exactly is dusk i don't know check it out um you'll have to figure that out on your own what um i mean i guess there's also the um the the international kind of market you were talking about how do other areas of the world handle this what does does europe have anything like this Yes, quite a few countries practice daylight saving time now. I want to say something around the order of 70 out of about, we have about 200 countries. It tends, Europe practices, um, 
Canada practices daylight saving time. In fact, when we we extended daylight saving time recently, which means we practice it almost eight months out of the year, and Canada immediately just had to follow suit. Otherwise, yeah, mess up economic, everything. It would just mess up everything. So they immediately followed suit. It does mess up things because Britain calls it summertime, which I think is a, a, a cute way to say it. And yeah. It reminds you also that you practice daylight saving time during summer. Mm. Uh, they do it slightly off schedule from us. So that means that things like flights and stock exchange and other markets are a little off for several weeks every year. But yes, they practice only the countries that are sort of temperate. In other words, the non-tropical countries tend to practice it. If you're tropical, you tend to be near the equator. The equator means equal. And that means your day and your night are almost equal year round. So Hawaii doesn't practice it, nor do most of the countries that that are in that region of the world. So, so is it is it only Hawaii and Arizona are the only two U.S. states that don't? Yes. Wow, look at those rebels. Yes, at this point. Yes, <laughs> especially Arizona. They're, they're kind of funked in the middle of us, not practicing. Yeah. So what would you do? What would your ideal scenario be or solution be? Uh, knowing too that, like you, like the examples you gave from the Dakotas to Idaho, even in one time zone, it's it's still uh, vastly different. What what would your proposal be? Well, I have two proposals, and and I'll, I'll go with the easier one first. Okay, the one probably it's easier to swallow. Is 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 sort of a sense of practicing daylight saving time all year round, but not quite. I would actually shift all the time zones slightly to the west. And that would put my hometown of Rapid City into the uh, the next time zone over and basically permanently shift them ah. to the hour that they like. Okay? So yes. we just shift every because it just seems like our society has moved a little bit to that. Yeah. That's one way to sort of balance everything. It also gets rid of this twice a year time change, which disrupts our lives. Okay, so that's maybe the easiest way. Okay. A little more extreme is that everybody just practices daylight saving time all year round. I'm aware that that goes against my research and that might cause a little more energy use. But it again, it seems like that's what society kind of wants as far as a schedule. So let's go with it. Just go the with other it. thing, yeah, so this is the more avant-garde thing. I think with the, we're in uh, internet age and gig economy, and we're really getting to sort of, I would call almost a post-clock economy. And we could go to something like universal time. We all just set our clocks at the same time. And then you coordinate locally with what and when things should happen the best. Oh, interesting. But everybody. Everybody on the earth has the exact same time. And and in fact, everybody in China has the exact same time and they're a huge country. So. Yeah. They've. This isn't too far fetched, especially as, like I said, we get to be more unhooked from a rigid work schedule. More and more people can telecommute. More and more people can do a little bit flexibility of when they're coming and going. I hope that that we work towards that flexibility. And as we work towards that flexibility, daylight saving time will be less useful because daylight saving time, like I said, is really just a backstop, like an easy Thing to shift when we have rigid work and school schedule. Oh, see, Laura, that's that's why you're the researcher, because then you can bring us solutions like that. The universal clock, I like that idea. Everyone's on the same time, and then you just, you know, everyone knows exactly when is when. Um, Good stuff. Laura Grant, we appreciate your great work. Keep it up there. 
as the assistant professor at Claremont McKenna College, teaching intermediate uh, microeconomics and public economics, also helping us understand uh, what's really going on when it comes to daylight saving time. You know, we're here to keep you on target and on task and keep you updated. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, my dear friends. This is the show where we give you the latest and greatest. In fact, today we're going to give you a little uh, update and research, according to a psychologist, about um, Christmas music. Is it the great gift that you think it is? When, when should you start playing Christmas music? There's always this rush by radio yeah. stations to work. December we played it first. Twelfth. Twelfth, really? Yeah. I'm thinking whatever the week of Christmas is, that Monday. Even really? if Christmas is on a Monday. Why are you so anti-Christmas music during December? I don't know. It, it works on Christmas Day for me, but every other time it's like, why are we doing this But they're going to start it when? Some have already started. They started before Halloween. Ugh. I mean, Hallmark was putting out their Christmas movies before Halloween. So Hallmark. they started with Christmas music and radio stations. Doing... So clinical psychologist Linda Blair uh, says, listen the to you. Linda Blair? No, from it's a, the... it's a, it's a, it's a okay. clinical psychologist, Linda Blair. It's well, different. Who knows? I don't know what she got she's, she's from the great. She's from Great Britain, so it's different. Okay. Yeah. Uh, says, listening to Christmas music too early in the holiday season may affect mental health by triggering feelings of stress. Hearing a Christmas song can spark thoughts of all the things you have to do before the holiday, like shopping, party planning, traveling. Lose weight. Losing weight. As the clock ticks down to December 25th, you may feel overwhelmed by your to-do list and being constantly reminded by the sound of sleigh bells ringing and ringing and ringing. It doesn't help, she says. It adds pressure. It adds stress. Ah. It gives you a mental toll. Hearing the same songs over and over each day could make workers struggle and to, to tune it out and they become unable to focus on anything else. You're simply spending all of your energy trying not to hear what you're hearing. Like this song. Yeah. I'm just I love it. this song. It's, it's, just, it's not appropriate. Christmas Creep. Andy Williams is not Not appropriate, appropriate November 9th. Retail, you, maybe you saw this story. <laughs> Retailers like Target have promised to cool the Christmas Creep and focus more on Thanksgiving during the month of November. And then they'll shut down and do Christmas overnight, basically, to try mm. to be prepared for Black Friday. Who, who is the, the Christmas creep? This is true. That's a deeper question. Well, so what do you think? Do you you're think a Christmas Grinch. Hey, 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 hey. Can Christmas music yes. cause, cause holiday stress? Yes, and a lot of people, holidays aren't great for a lot of people. Right. Brings up bad memories, you know, of presents lost the one year where my parents decided to get me a radio-controlled car, I gave them about five, six great examples of what I wanted, and they yeah. got me something called the Chipmunk 2. Yeah. Not exactly what I was looking for. Not even close, Mom and Dad. <laughs> Not even close. Swing and a miss. Uh, I wanted a drum set. I wanted to be the drummer boy and didn't get it. Mm. Got a practice pad instead. Ooh, the practice pad. One year I got what I wanted. But I found it before Christmas, and so I was yelled at. Wow. That sounds true. I looked under my parents' bed, and uh-huh. there it was. Was that the Donnie and Marie microphone set? 
Actually, I think it was the Donnie and Marie Easy Bake Oven. <gasps> now that's a combination. With a karaoke uh, included. Yeah. With the karaoke speaker. You have, so you can you have sing to entertain the guest while you're cooking. But, yes. you know, bless my parents because yeah. they often got me what I wanted. Um, but I think as the years went by, they just didn't try as hard to conceal the presence. Mm-hmm. I went out to the garage one year <laughs> and there was a – They're all just everywhere. There was a tablecloth that wasn't fully covering a brand new bike <laughs> just sitting there. And I was like, how was I not going to find that? Well, it's because your dad had to put the bike together. Oh, he never goes out in the garage to do the chores, so maybe he'll never see it. He was exhausted, so like, uh, just put that over there. Oh, thank you, parents. We're not saying you ruined Christmas. We're just saying... They made it great. You made it great. We and had so many good traditions. God bless us, everyone. That's you didn't Tim. do it in the Tiny Tim He's voice. God bless us, everyone. Now do the Tiny Tim Tebow voice. <laughs> I don't know how that one goes. I'm trying to think how he, what he sounds like. Hey, up next, uh, we're going to do a little, uh, give you some advice on how to take care of the veterans. We've got some great um, audio from past interviews. And uh, just thinking about our veterans this Veterans Weekend. You know, tomorrow, uh, Saturday, we celebrate Veterans Day. For those that have served in this, uh, served our country in the in the military, those that have given their lives, those that have given their lives and not died, but given their actual lives, their time, and their toil, um, we want to celebrate them tomorrow. And we want some some advice that uh, that I think we've been receiving over the years from many of our guests as we talk about veterans and veteran issues. Uh, I, I wanted to pass some of that along to you. Bill Rausch was one of our guests. He um, he is uh, he uh, is a former major army major and executive director of Got Your Six. Got Your Six is an organization helping veterans successfully reintegrate and be empowered to lead at home. So once they come back from war or from their service, we've got to get these veterans engaged and involved. Uh, here's here's a couple of uh, pieces of advice from Bill Rausch. First and foremost, folks can just get to know a vet. You know, say hello, introduce yourself. There aren't any wrong questions. There aren't any gaffes. Just build a genuine relationship with your neighbors. And, you know, we're not bad neighbors. In fact, we're pretty good ones. One of the really exciting areas that, that we see are veterans as entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, given the, the need to, to lead and to be calm under pressure, uh, again, in combat or out of combat, we found that veterans are great at getting the job done and starting small businesses. You know, one of the unique things about serving in the military is, you know, we all raised our right hand and we wanted to serve. That idea of service doesn't go away when we take off our uniform. And that's the opportunity, right? That's why it's critical that we empower one another, not only within the veteran community, but across the country. Because, you know, we don't succeed in the military without the support of the American public. And so when we leave the military, the same is true. The same is true. So we we can help get them better educational opportunities, get them better skills, better training. So if you run a business, if you if you know a vet, somebody that's uh, returned from service, somebody that you see just isn't getting the visits they need or needs more support, needs more help, maybe even a ride to a um, you know a medical visit. 
let's all step up and let's not just make Veterans Day a, a holiday or something that we celebrate with another barbecue. Why don't we do it by um, actually taking care of and extending more love and appreciation to our veterans who have given so much to make America great? Uh, just again, a little hope and, uh, and and appreciation from the Matt Townsend Show. We'll continue the journey, folks. Uh, this is the show where we're trying to help you be the good in the world. And uh, being a veteran is one way to do that. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Happy Friday, folks. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang's all here. Jeff's going to be on the keyboard. Terry playing sax. And I will be singing to the oldies. And sweating to the oldies. What does that mean? You know, it's just a reference to Richard Simmons. Oh, I thought it was your reference to me getting in my chair. No. Do you sweat when you try to get in your chair? It takes so long to get up there. Get all sweaty. He's out of breath. He's kind of winded. (laughs) I ran up the stairs. I had to run a few errands during that last break. You know how it is. Today, by the way, we're going to talk about uh, why on earth the U.S. soccer team can't I don't know how you put this. We have 350 million people in this country, yeah. but we lose to tiny Caribbean islands. And so, but by, I honestly, I think that there's then this weird bias in our heads that, oh, well, yeah, but on the islands, they, they just would be better at soccer because... That's us justifying the yeah. fact that we just lost. Well, the Los Angeles Dodgers spent twice as much as the Houston Astros, and they still lost. Yeah. <laughs> you still thinking about that? Well, just because you brought this up. You, you need to let that go. This is the one sport that I know. So that was my nugget that I could contribute. Oh, that was the nugget. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good nugget. Uh, so why on earth can't the U.S. soccer team make it happen? Maybe because the entire system is not about finding the best players, but it's about finding the best payers. <gasps> what are you saying, Matt? There's an accusation in there somewhere. It's actually maybe because we're more into making money on youth soccer than finding the best athletes. Wow, that's a bold statement. Thank you. Because if you can't be on a travel team that goes three states away to go play in a tournament, then you're probably not ever going to be seen by the higher FIFA officials. My neighbor. Right, his daughter plays softball. Yeah, they're on tournaments every weekend. They're yeah. gone. I was asking him yesterday. She's in high school now, and he's like, "I go, is there any schools looking at her?" And he goes, "Well, there's a few out there." And he goes, "And the amount of money we spent, we better get a scholarship yeah, out of no, this." They're not wow. get a scholarship. <laughs> like, wow, it's it's so there's something going on here, and then all of a sudden we can't even make it into the playoffs. That's crazy. We should be not, not even into the, the the field of what is it sixty something teams that make the World Cup. Yeah, we're going to be watching the World Cup without the U.S. team. So then there's the question of who's going to watch the World Cup. And it's it's so the the people that are recruiting, the people that are drafting, the people that are doing all these things, they they're going to the big events hosted by Disney's major soccer 
you know, Lollapalooza, whatever they call it. Uh, but it's different. Wrong. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Trump. It's different in the NBA because the NBA, you can still go play ball in your high school gym and get scouts and get coaches and get people looking at you. Not true in soccer. People look at me all the time. I know, but that's different. That's how. Well, that's how it's, you, it's your isn't dress. It, isn't it followed by like a disapproving head shake? They're just like, oh, man. Ah, there he goes again. No, wow. it's usually followed by some kind of cat call. And then I have to say, hello, wow. really? I'm a person too. Wow. Wow. We're... I'm up here. <laughs> Eyes up here. That Hold it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Where are you? It doesn't feel true. No, something feels yeah. very off about that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, in a good way. It feels inflated. I'm not disparaging way. you. <sighs> I don't know. That threw me. Hmm. I don't. I I feel. So the problem is youth soccer. Oh yeah, back to soccer. <laughs> yeah, if you <laughs> couldn't even remember what you were talking it feels, about, <laughs> I just felt so. I just felt like I don't know. I'd been like t boned, right? Yeah. By like a a Mack truck. A, yeah, a Mack truck. Right there, exactly. Mm. So yeah, back to soccer. Huh. Uh, so we'll be talking about soccer and how really why U.S. men's soccer and youth soccer. We're not we're why we don't field good teams is not because other island communities somehow have some advantage. The, they, yeah. What they don't have is this major pay to play game that makes it so the best talent doesn't rise. It, it limits a, a vast portion of the population who can't pay to go yeah. play on these teams and travel and tournaments yeah. and all that, yeah. So, I mean, think of people maybe in the inner city or in the middle of America that will never be seen because they're incredible, but they're not good enough to – or they don't have enough money to go pay for all these uniforms and cleats and – Right. Yeah. There's a, a fee for entry into that sort of realm, it looks like. By the way, notice the word fee yeah. and FIFA. Well, yeah. There's, they've had their problems too, yeah. <laughs> Kofifi. So it shouldn't be Fine. surprising that there's a money issue involved in all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's always a money issue. Follow the money is what grandma used to say. Follow the money, Matt. Anyway, we'll get to all that fun. But uh, first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? Washington Post published an explosive story Thursday, according to this report, detailing interviews with four women in which they revealed that Al- the Al- Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore pursued relationships with them when they were teenagers. Moore categorically denies the allegations in a statement to the Post saying these allegations are completely false and are a desperate political attack by the National Democratic Party and the Washington Post on this campaign. Republican leaders were quick to distance themselves from the 70-year-old candidate with several, including Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, saying Moore should withdraw from the race if the allegations are true. Senator John McCain saying that the allegations themselves were deeply disturbing and disqualifying. And called for more to immediately step aside. So not even if they're true or not, just you need to step down. And President Trump said if these allegations are true, Judge Moore will do the right thing and step aside. Now, is that a weird thing to say? Um, Because if they're true, he has to do the right thing and step aside. But he might just want to step aside anyway. They're embarrassing. And this is going to be like an uphill battle. So they hurt the party. But now, it, now he's basically inferred that if you step aside, they're true, and if they're true, you must step aside. It just seems like right. it would have been better that they just kind of strong arm him, strong arm him quietly. Like we can't support you. You got to get out of here. 
This right. isn't going to work. I don't know. It but just, so the, now he's got to have some admission of guilt. The, the 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 favor for the Republicans in the Senate is I think two seats. Yeah, they can't lose no. any Republican seats, and so that's why this is very important. Because if this guy has to do something, it's kind of late in the process to replace mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Sessions. That's his seat. Yeah. And so they're like, ugh, we can't really just kind of replace him with somebody Blasted. else, but maybe they could. I don't know. Yeah. Sounds like Tough fun, situation. Yeah. Oh, it's something to watch. <laughs> Special counsel Robert Mueller's team interviewed the top White House aide Stephen Miller. Mueller on Miller. On as at part six of the o'clock. investigation <laughs> of Russian meddling in the 2016 election. This is from CNN. Miller is the most senior level White House aide still working for Trump who is reported to have been interviewed by the special counsel. Miller was reportedly asked about his role in the firing of FBI Director James Comey. He wrote Trump a memo earlier this year explaining why Comey should be fired. Trump later said the FBI's Russia investigation was one of the reasons he fired Comey. Isn't Miller the writer? He's the only writer. He's the one that writes all the ones. So that's the problem. He's always going to be the memo guy. He's the memo guy. By the way, wouldn't you feel bad if you were one of Trump's senior people and you haven't been investigated by Mueller? Yeah, like, you... Hey, well, I was there too. Hey, you guys, like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> well, then maybe you've retained counsel for no reason at that point, right? right? So who knows? The GOP has been trying to take down Obamacare from the start, but the new numbers show the Affordable Care Act is far from dead. More than 600,000 people signed up for health care plans in the first four days of healthcare.gov's open enrollment. Hmm. The Centers for Medi- Medicare and Medicaid Services announced. On Thursday, nearly a quarter of those signups came from new enrollees. CNBC points out that in 2017, Obamacare has, has seen an average of 150,000 signups per day. In 2016, the average was only 84,000. We just signed up for a new one yesterday. Wow. Re- really? But yeah, So, but if somebody breaks an arm or, you know, needs stitches, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. then uh, we're moving to Canada. Oh, it's one of those plans. Oh, that sounds like a good one. Yeah. Um, I've got one I've been using. Uh, it, it's it's from veterinarians. Um, I guess a lot of veterinarians aren't being utilized fully. Hmm. Right. So if you break an arm or need stitches and you're okay with like just a $10 copay, I have a vet friend that can stitch you right up. Okay. Now, if we lose a limb, will he replace it with like a doggy limb? Mm. No, but you will have a little runner cart. Yeah, you yeah. Just, you just a cone and a oh. runner cart. You'll be good. It's, that would be fun. It's it's just another. It's a it's another healthcare opportunity. This, of course, in response to both the Senate and the House tax bills that are kind of toying with the idea of they toss in a repeal of, of the Obamacare mandate. Yeah, which would undermine the whole system itself. So people are trying to take advantage of the system as it's available before it goes away. Right. It feels like it's going to. Um, finally, a suspect robbing, robbing a Houston donut shop handed out donuts to customers whose cell phones that he stole, according to the Associated Press. Really? So he'd steal their phone, then give them a donut? Yeah. What a nice guy. I mean, think about that. So according <laughs> to the Star-Telegram, the robbers ha- robberies happened at 3 p.m. on October 16th. Police released surveillance video this week that shows three men wearing hoodies and bandanas robbing the store. While two of the men were behind the counter demanding the cash from the register, or demanding cash from the registers, the third took the cell phones of the two customers in the store. He then jumped over the counter, exchanged words with the customers, and picked out two donuts, which he then handed them in wax paper. The suspects then left the store. The police are still searching for them. Wow. So it looks as if he jumped the jumped the counter and said, what would you like? Would you like an eclair? Yeah. 
It's like a, I don't know, some sort of maple bar type product. That's, or... a, that's what they call a glazing robbery. Yeah. And so he, he took their cell phones and gave them a donut. Does that make up for his role? Because it was only one of the three. But does handing out donuts make up for his role in the robbery? Mm, what what kind of donuts were they? Is that what it hinges That's on? That's a good point. If it was like a bear claw, would that help? Or mm-hmm. wait, what what uh, chain was this? Does it, it say it was a local type okay. establishment in Houston? I think I think definitely okay if it was a maple bar. Okay. Hmm. Or what if it was maybe like a cream filled? Uh, oh no, no, that's that's a crime. Okay. Well, I think you could. I think for a cream filled, you might be able to get more mm. than a, I mean, you can. Maybe you know get, what? Their wallet and their cell phone. I would have loved a cream filled because as he was taking my cell phone, I just would have smashed down the donut and it would have gotten in his eyes and he would have said, ah, and he would have been foiled. Hmm. Wow. You sure took that a long way. Yeah. I mean, he had a gun. I mean, this was, that was all hypothetical. R- yes. This is real. We're talking about a real, a real robbery. Come on, you don't you don't think about what you would do in situations like that. Oh, if that person that's sneaking up behind me is trying to rob me, Mm-mm. I'll grab my keys, put them in between my fingers, and become Wolverine. <laughs> Wolverine. You don't think about this kind of stuff. No, really. There, you got to be prepared. You also said people usually say don't do that because uh, you end up ripping your hand open. A lot. A really? lot of yeah. So probably skip that part of the keys. Hmm. A lot of people that are like as uh, as highly trained as I am. In the um, arts, the mixed martial arts. Really? We don't worry about stuff like that. We're like learning, just, we're, we just kind of react. We're learning all sorts of stuff about you today. I think you're Ta- learning that. Mm-hmm. You're learning about it for the first time today, too. Yeah, I just barely figured that out. <laughs> so when the, the, good, the good men and women of the Houston Police Department, when they catch up with these three robbers— Oh, by the way, the, the cops, you know the cops are after these guys. <laughs> it's a donut shop, right? So— and, and they, they find out who the three are. Yeah. Will it help the guy in his court case if he's the one that handed out donuts? Yes. He, he showed, seemed, he's he a showed giver. some mercy in mm-hmm. the sense of a donut mm-hmm. to the people they were robbing. Well, and legally— but did he steal the donuts first? Well, he— yeah, but uh, legally, it was also an exchange of goods. Okay. So really, you could have just—it could be seen as it was a trade, your phone for the donuts. Well, the people weren't really, w- like, willing to trade their phone for a donut— Weren't they? I don't think so. Uh, but, I mean, do you think he got a lesser sentence because, yeah, you know, he was sure. thinking of the, the crime? Yeah. Oh, just, no, they donut. just stole more. Yeah. They added the number of things that they were stealing. <laughs> so the we lesson is... Two donuts on donuts. Donuts, I guess, don't get you out of it. Okay, well... But, like, a dozen donuts might. Really? So does a, do- a dozen donuts just change the entire sentencing yeah. process? It's yeah, got to yeah. be a baker's mm. dozen. Yeah. Yeah. And none of them can be glazed. Why? Because glazed are the cheapest donut. Yeah. No, you got, no, you got to get the top do shelf some, donut. Effort, if you have yeah. a glazed twist, that's one of the best things that you can have. Because the round one just gets everywhere, but the glazed twist, you can fit it perfectly in your mouth and just, not have the mess. Twist mm. it in there. Yeah. Nice. I'm proud of that, but that's like that's a By good. By the way, a lot of these facts um, <laughs> may not seem as important to your life. I don't. I mean, there's but, a story here that that someday. Someday you will thank us. Don't know when it is, but someday. Let's get to the empty news headlines with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The empty news team. First on the scene, fifth on facts. I was super excited to see this story because it really hit home, or it was close to hit close to home for me. Uh, uh, is it which hit home? home? Is it hit home or, or home close hit. to home? Home run? 
Yeah. Something which, with home. Which, which home are we talking about? Your childhood home yes. or your adult home? Childhood home. Yeah. Because okay. those, by the way, in your world are two completely different worlds. So have you ever heard of judges giving out uh, creative sentences? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's exciting. That okay. would be the best part of being a judge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you're kind parking. of laughing as you're, you're saying the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's a Maui judge who's handed down an unorthodox sentence to a man who pleaded no contest to violating his ex-girlfriend's protection order. Oh, boy. Judge Rhonda Lou, what a great name, Rhonda Lou. Rhonda Lou. Ordered Darren Young on Friday to write 144 compliments about his ex-girlfriend <gasps> in response to the 144 nasty text messages and calls that he is accused of sending her. Holy cow. Lou told Young he is not allowed to repeat words when writing a nice thing for every nasty thing he said. So he's really got to get creative. I love Rhonda Lou. The Maui News reports that the 30-year-old Young received time served for spending 157 days in jail before sentencing. Wow. He was sentenced to the uh, the compliments, two years of probation, $2,400 in fines, and 200 hours wow. of community service. Can I tell you why I love this so much? Why? I've mentioned this on the show before. My dad was always very creative in yeah. his Discipline. punishments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my brother, the brother that's just older than me, he and I were always going at it, getting into fights, hitting yeah. each other, saying the nastiest things to each other. Tasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and one time... You know, after we were just saying all these horrible things about each other, (laughs) I can't remember if it was my mom or my dad. I'm pretty sure it was my mom who said, all right, I want you to take these two papers and these two pencils, and I want you to write 20 things that you love about one another. What a good good parent. So we took the papers. We wrote down the 20 things that we loved about one another. We, as we were reading them, Mm -hmm. to further the humiliation... My parents decided to pull out a video camera and document the entire experience, which I still believe exists to this day. Let's get that video. (laughs) My brother and I, in a very monotone, insincere voice, listed off all these reasons. Well, he makes me laugh. He lets me ride his bike sometimes. I like your good-natured behavior. My mom disciplined you. I like that you wear clothes. You know, stuff like that. And then the thing that we did immediately after finishing the reading of the list was we crumpled up the paper and threw it over our shoulder. Did you? Yes. And then you did, did your mom make you give a big hug? No. I know we people. We didn't have to hug it out. I know people, parents that make kids, they get a really big t-shirt and they put the two kids in the t-shirt and they really? make them wear the t-shirt together <laughs> until they can really show love and be friends again. Wow. Yeah, my parents... I was thinking of doing that with you and Terry over your little fights. We would get sent to different bathrooms. Oh, wow. But then, you know, we were misbehaving so bad and not getting along so much that we had to be put in separate rooms. But then we'd always end up just talking to each other through the walls. Through the vents. Yeah. Yeah. I... Yeah. I thought you got sent out to the... to the, the loo outside. No, we were tied to the front post and squirted down with the hose, though. That happened. Don't you remember? That's when DCFS showed up. (laughs) (laughs) Those were the days. We, my parents, 
uh, basically put the spatula salesman's kids through college. Interesting. This segment, this parenting segment brought to you by Spatulas for Discipline. <laughs> a, a group, a group uh, that's uh, created to bring joy and happiness back to families. Thank you, Jeffrey. That was beautiful. I'm wiping a tear. Up next, we're going to be talking about how youth soccer is fixed. Maybe that's the reason we can't field a professional team uh, at a competitive level. Interesting stuff, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. The nation was shocked when the U.S. men's national soccer team lost against Trinidad and Tobago uh, and as a result failed to qualify in the 2018 World Cup. Why did this happen? The United States has 330 million people and a huge soccer system compared to Trinidad and Tobago, a country that only has 1.3 million people. Are you kidding me? So here to talk with us today about this is uh, Rick Eckstein. He is a um, he has the author of a book, How College Athletics Are Hurting Girls Sports, The Pay-to-Play Pipeline, and has some very interesting insight in this. He's a professor of sociology at Villanova University. Uh, Rick, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Matt. Good to be with you. What do you think? Uh, I mean, it doesn't make sense, does it, that a, a country with 330 million people and a really incredibly vast, strong soccer uh, community can't put together a better team? It doesn't make sense, Matt, if you just look at things on the surface. But if you start peeling away the layers of the onion uh, into what I call this pay-to-play pipeline within sports such as soccer, it, it starts to make a lot more sense because we've devised a system. And as you say, it's, it's a huge system. It's very intricate. It's, it's very well developed. But it seems better and, and more adept at identifying the best payers rather than the best players. Hmm. Uh, the, the system is expensive. It costs money to get into the pipeline, to stay in the pipeline. Uh, there are people who are probably very, very talented who just don't have the access to this involved youth sports system. And so they're never going to get identified. They're never going to get located. Systems in other countries, flawed though they may be, don't have those same kind of financial barriers. Well, they may have financial barriers, but they'll be different ones. Well, but, and they look at you like, man, you're a talent, and you can be from any community, but when they see the talent, somebody will sponsor them, they'll do whatever they can to help them. That's right, and in and, and, and most of these other countries that we compete against, uh, the, the youth sports system is somehow tied into the professional sports system, at least on the, on the male side of the equation. And so these uh, professional teams, it is in their business interest to try to identify future talent to either cultivate for their teams or increasingly uh, sell to teams in Europe or other places uh, once they have their contracts in hand. Uh, but that, those are people who could be playing in the streets, playing in the, in the barrios, playing on hard scrabble fields, uh, playing with a, a, a cloth or a bunch of clothes balled up. Oh, yeah. Uh, not on fancy manicured suburban lawns with the fanciest <laughs> equipment and, and high-tech cleats and $80 shin guards and having to pay hundreds and thousands of dollars a year just to participate in this intricate travel soccer system that we've developed here. Yeah, that, that I, I have friends and clients that I work with that – I mean, they're 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 all over the place. They're traveling. They they're flying their entire family five six different places a year. Yeah, and it's uh, there's even competing systems within the the vast umbrella of U.S. soccer. There are different organizations all competing for 
for this talent on both the, the male and the female side, uh, trying to convince uh, potential customers that their product, their team, their training system, their coaches are the better ones. Uh, the, really what's driving the American youth soccer system is commercial interest, not necessarily, again, identifying uh, the premier players who might be out there. What's different between soccer, youth soccer, and football and basketball? Well, I think with football and basketball, again, at least on the male side, it hasn't really become, this pay-to-play system hasn't become as entrenched yet. And so recruitment, whether it be for college or for, say, national teams in basketball, uh, they, they aren't limited to this, to this pay-to-play system. So there's still recruitment going on in high schools. There's still recruitment going on in playgrounds for basketball. There are scouts for colleges and, and scouts for other, other people who will, who will go around to, to gyms, to outdoor playgrounds. And so you don't have those same kind of uh, social class barriers that you do for soccer and softball, volleyball, a lot of the other sports. Uh, it hasn't gotten to basketball and football yet. It started to infiltrate a little bit into basketball with the AAU system. And uh, football now is, is developing a sort of club football system, but it's still in its infancy. And I'm not sure they're going to develop because, especially on football, they need so many people. If they limit themselves to those who can afford to enter a, a private pay-to-play system, there's just not going to be enough players. Yeah. Is it um, – what does – what do the, the highest levels of U.S. soccer say is the reason for this? Because they probably wouldn't, they wouldn't say it's the pay-and-play system, would they? They'd blame it on something else. What are they blaming it on? Because it, well, they might it doesn't it make is, sense. They, yeah, they're they are, they're going to be doing a lot of hand-wringing now and uh, talking about coaches and talking about training methods, talking about whether, for instance, kids who are playing for a development team either an Olympic development team or U.S. national development team, whether they should stop playing, let's say, for their high school teams. That's already come up. Uh, they may fr- they're going to tinker with the system as it exists, but it's so deeply entrenched. There are so many people with so many financial and commercial interests that uh, anything short of complete overhaul is probably not going to change this fundamental problem with excluding wide swaths of the population who can't afford to get into the system. Yeah, that's... It's a big deal, and and it's been. A, I kept just thinking, you know, oh, we were behind the curve. I mean, because I I lived in Argentina right. for two years, and man, can they play ball? And that's everything they do. Just out on the street, you do you see kids with twine, you know, balled up, and and it's and they're playing soccer with it, and they're getting good, and they don't even have nets, and they're playing in a parking lot. And I think, okay, that's kind of like that old inner city ball where people would right. grab a ball and go play at the park, and but. And I thought eventually the U.S. would catch up, but no. And I guess part of it is this pay-and-play system. Plus, if you're if you're impoverished or in, have a lower level of income, you're going to have less chance of being found, it appears. And also, if you're just living in places um, that, you know, the middle America, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of some state somewhere, somebody may not find you um, if you're not going to these big tournaments. That's right. What you've identified in Argentina and in other places is – is reflective of this overall shift in the way that kids play. In the United States, increasingly, uh, childhood play is not unstructured anymore. It's not kid-centered. 
It's very organized. There are a lot of adults involved. I don't know if you've ever coached or, or seen yeah. people who are playing in these organized leagues, but the kids will show up and they'll stand around until the adults show up and give them their drills to run through. Or their, <laughs> or, and, and I coached for 15, 20 years, and it would drive me mad that I'd get to the field and they'd be sitting there yeah. waiting for me. Why aren't you naturally couldn't... playing? Yeah, this, this right. is just something you should be doing. And I guess when we were growing up, we went out and played. And we were creative, and we made do with what we had. If, if we didn't have a ball field and we had to play on the street, well, we'd figure it out. Or if we have a, a small field to play soccer, we'd figure it out. No nets. We'd use garbage cans, and then everything worked out fine. But now everything has become structured, organized, and commercialized. And so instead of playing soccer or playing baseball or having a catch in the backyard, we go to soccer practice twice a week. We go to weight training twice a week if you're a little older. And everything is, is very, very uh, codified and, and highly structured. Yeah. Does this um, kind of pay-to-play approach to sports, does it impact uh, female dif- females differently than it does males? Yeah, I think so. And that's why I wrote the book primarily about girls and young women, and that uh, girls and women, females don't really have the professional outlets uh, that males do. And so the pipeline for, for young girls almost inevitably leads to college and this uh, very misrepresented view of college scholarships and admissions advantages to elite schools. And so what the, what the girls and their families are mostly interested in is getting a leg up on high college costs. That might be true on the boys' side, too, but some of them are also thinking about uh, occupations uh, and, and perhaps when, uh, when appropriate for, for national teams. But, for, but for the, on the women's side, almost all the national teams and the Olympic teams, they draw from the college ranks. It's, it's almost impossible... To, to have them independent of each other. There's a little bit more independence on the boys' side, that you don't have to go to college to get into certain Olympic sports, like soccer, for instance. Mm. Although for others, because of the professional leagues having their rules, you have to do a year of before you play on the basket, professional basketball or uh, three years out of high school for, uh, for football. So uh, for, for girls, the, the calculus and the algorithm is a little bit different and a little more focused on, on higher education, really the driving force of the pipeline. Yeah, but you um, – it, it's crazy. And then all of a sudden, as a, as a country, we can't even field a, uh, a World Cup team um, or get, get through far enough to make any of it matter. And so uh, all of the dreams are for naught anyway, right? I mean because at some point you've got to shine on an, on an American team. You've got to get to the U.S. team. And then the U.S. team has to do well. So, I, 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 except for colleges, um, how do we fix this? Is is there because if it's already being driven by money so young and so early, um, how do you get that out of the game? Well, I think the fix would be a little bit different again on the male side and the female side. Although there probably would be enough similarities that you could you could do them together and, and accrue enough benefits that everyone would gain. And, and for me, I, I propose three different scenarios in the book on how to, how to kind of eliminate these pipelines, what I call a nuclear option, uh, a less nuclear option, and then just some uh, tinkering, the mm. tinkering option. Yeah. And, and the nuclear option would completely eliminate intercollegiate athletics as we know it and would take those resources and divert them uh, to club and intramural sports that have much more participation, much more kid-centered uh, rather than adult-centered I would use it for financial aid, real financial aid, uh, for mm. low-income families who uh, 
are misled into thinking that college scholarships are going to pay for a large chunk of college when they when they usually don't. Uh, plus the quid pro quo of, of giving 30 hours a week of your life uh, to this something that's supposed to be fun. Right. So that would be the nuclear option. A less nuclear option, we could just eliminate scholarships. We could leave intercollegiate athletics, but kind of scale them down. Eliminate scholarships. Uh, eliminate admissions advantages. You could probably spin off football and and men's basketball and have them as kind of independent, standalone economic entities. Yeah, like semi-pros or whatever. That's right. And they could have a loose affiliation with the college, perhaps pay a licensing fee, and and the students can go and enjoy the things that they're enjoying now for for certain sports. Let's face it, for most sports, most most of the people in the community don't know about them or don't care about them. They're just pretty high-priced extracurricular activities for a couple of dozen uh, uh, young men and young women. Uh, so we, we, could, we could manage to save a lot of money and, and reinvest the resources. And, of course, the payoff of all this is once you eliminate the, that perceived pot of gold from intercollegiate sports, those pipelines would start to crumble, and youth sports would probably start becoming more about fun and participation and unleashing creativity of everybody not just the people who happen to uh, have enough money to get onto these elite teams and go to these elite tournaments. Uh, so getting rid of colleges, getting rid of or scaling down intercollegiate athletics, uh, for me, would be the, the easiest way to dismantle uh, these pay-to-pay pipelines. And we, we see it more and more. Um, uh, we've had a lot of guests on the show talking about the fact that most of the, you know, most of the sports departments on, on at universities are losing money. They're not... They're not, you know, ripe with money. It's costing them a lot. And so in a way that makes sense. And then recently with Rick Pitino and all of these others, right. uh, kind of all of these scandals with Adidas now. And I mean, we're already seeing the money is a major factor and becoming a bigger factor in a lot of the sports. But the I guess the bigger idea is that um, it's, it's actually I, I never thought of it as impacting our play. You know, I always thought it would be maximizing our ability to play, but your example in soccer, it's not. It's actually, it's somehow, it's hamstrung us. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's one of those unintended consequences. I think once we started developing this model, uh, people who were in charge of soccer or field hockey or some of the other sports that have an Olympic outlet probably thought it was a good thing. But, you, you know, you see the same things in field hockey where a lot of women in the United States play field hockey. Probably more women in the United States play field hockey than in other countries, but mm. we're at a we cannot compete internationally again because of the type of system that we have. It's again very much a pay-to-play system in field hockey, and it excludes people who who can't afford to get into it. It may even be more expensive than uh, than soccer in some regards. Wow! So, so the U.S. women's field hockey team has been uh, very unsuccessful internationally, even though a lot of the girls and young women play the sport in this country. Hmm. What about? Um, I mean, I guess. It, it, what would you suggest a parent do if if they really want to get their child into soccer? Um, do they just put them in the rec league and 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 get them to progress that way? Is there a way that they can still be seen by uh, universities without having to buy into all the travel team stuff? Well, you know, you can, uh, and but it's really tough. The system. In, is just rooted and revolves around these showcase tournaments where uh, where college coaches come to do most of their recruiting. And this isn't just the the big time colleges, the the Big Ten schools and the and the SEC schools. We're talking about Division three schools, small liberal arts colleges that wow. go to these showcase tournaments 
which cost tens of thousands of dollars for entry fees and travel, as you mentioned before. And only a certain percentage of potential soccer players are going to be there. Now, you can circumvent that system, but it's hard. I'm actually doing that with my younger daughter right now, who's a senior in high school and would like to play college soccer. And she's a fairly decent player, but she hasn't been involved in the pay-to-play pipeline. So we're having to find all these, these sort of creative end-arounds uh, to contact coaches, uh, to send her to send them videos, mm. to go to clinics that they might run. Uh, but it's a lot harder because the system's not geared for that. And I know the system. I'm I'm an insider of a sort, so I, I pity the people who have no idea the way the system works and are just sitting there helpless. And or the kids that say, "Well, I'd like to continue playing in college, but I don't seem to have the opportunity." Yeah. And there are no more tryouts like there used to be, or no tryouts like there were in high school. The teams are selected ahead of time. Even at the small schools, potential players are given uh, an admissions advantage. Maybe not money, but they're admitted early or and guaranteed a spot unless their grades are, are horrible. And so, so there's there's ways around it, but it's uh, it's really difficult if you're not part of this pay-to-play system in most sports. Well, and it seems like it would make more sense, maybe be smarter, instead of investing any money into the travel league system, just put all of that money in the bank and then send your kid to school. Yeah, that's probably the, the wisest thing. One of the interesting things that, that I found, though, in doing this research was that a lot of families, they seem to derive a lot of prestige from yeah. having their kids uh, playing a college sport or saying that they're on scholarship at some college or another for a sport. And it's not like they're – it wasn't that they were reliving the dreams that they never fulfilled as kids themselves, but they just they just think it's cool to say their kids – are, say, on scholarship at, at BYU yeah. or on scholarship at Texas. Uh, even if they're not on scholarships, they like to say that they're on scholarship. <laughs> there were parents, I heard coaches told me, parents would sometimes offer some money under the table to then pass on to their students, to their kids, and call them scholarships, even if it was a book scholarship. Oh, wow. That's how much parents are, are into this. And so they, they do things that, that to you and I might seem uh, financially imprudent, but it's not always finances that's that's driving the equation. So true. Well, Rick, uh, crazy insights, interesting stuff. Uh, one more question for you: Is there um, what could we do as somebody that's coached a lot and as somebody that uh, has seen the impact that athletics have on the youth for good um, and for bad? What what could all of us remember as parents and parenting when it comes to? being on the sideline and facilitating the growth um, of our children in a sport? I think what would most – Matt, that's the best question I've ever had, by the way. From, oh, cool. From any of the interviews I've ever done, so thanks for that. You bet. Uh, I think what's important is, is keeping your eye on the real prize, which is the moment, which is childhood, which is being able to have fun, enjoy your friends, develop relationships, develop skills – in a team sports setting, learn how to work together with other people toward a common goal, and treat sports as an end in itself, as something that's worthwhile in itself, not just a means to some other end, whether it be the Olympics or a college scholarship. Just treat childhood as childhood. Don't make childhood some stepping stone to adulthood. Let kids be kids. And if, if one, of the, one of the common threads I've, I've received from uh, the letters and emails that I've, that I've gotten since the book came out and since this other article came out is from parents who wish they had done things differently. Uh, they pushed their kids. They wanted them to get a scholarship. They wanted them to get into the Olympic development program 
in soccer or some other sport, and the kid's burned out, they got hurt, they have uh, career-ending injuries mm. at age 19, mm. and they feel bad about it. They are, they're not pleased about it. They wish they had done things differently. They wish they had the information that was available in this book and, and some other places before they had, in, in essence, ruined their kids' childhoods. And there are few remorse about that, and, and I feel sorry that they're so sorry. No, absolutely. That's yeah. That's a lot of pain. That's a lot of. That's just sad. A career-ending injury at nineteen. Ah, and your if your whole identity has been about being a soccer player, that really is impactful. Well, we appreciate Rick Eckstein. Um, go check out his book, How College Athletics Are Hurting Girls Sports, The Pay-to-Play Pipeline by uh, um, by Rick Eckstein. Really giving us the insight we need, I think, as parents to maybe clear up a bit our thinking, focus, make sure we're focusing on the right thing, which is our child and their development, not a scholarship per se. We will continue learning and the journey. A little coaching corner straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Talk about good. BYU Radio. Welcome to a 90-second movie review for Thor Ragnarok on BYU Radio. Chris Hemsworth returns as Thor and he must save his beloved Asgard from total annihilation and deal with family issues on a godly scale. This third installment of the Thor franchise is the best of the three and possibly the best character-based Marvel film. Yep, I said it. This is the film fans of the God of Thunder were looking for. The reason is the director, Taika Waititi. Marvel's formula of finding a low-budget director and giving him a huge budget worked again and to the betterment of the Marvel franchise. All the characters in the film are brilliant and they do their part to make this adventure come to life. The sets are creative, the action is exciting, and the comedy is just right. Watching Hulk, played by Mark Ruffalo, and Thor have a conversation was hilarious. Kate Blanchett did a great job as the evil and conniving Hela. Waititi even did his part as Korg, a fighter made of rock. The story moves at a very good pace, never feeling slow. The only problem is a couple of CGI backgrounds that looked CGI and not natural. Of course, parents will know that this comic book-based film will have plenty of fighting in it. One person loses an eye and the wound is seen for the rest of the film. Some suggestive language is used, as well as some profanity. Hulk's rear end is seen, and people on the screen react to seeing him naked. Some drinking is on screen, and there is some massive destruction and epic battle scenes. Thor Ragnarok is rated PG-13, and I am giving it an A grade. I'm Sean O'Neill. Thanks for listening. This has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Um, when you think about it, uh, this uh, this whole idea of our parenting, we got to be so careful. And there's some there's some beliefs that I think that a lot of us carry as parents that maybe need to be pushed on a little bit. Um, I, I see a lot of clients, and a lot of parents come in, and they want me to air quote fix their kids. Um, but let me just blow up a few thoughts that parents have that maybe we need to be abandoning. Um, One of them was just uh, basically touched on by our last guest um, when it comes to this idea of pay and play sports and getting our kids and getting a lot of psychic income off of our kids' game. Uh, One of the beliefs is that parents can live vicariously through their child. And can I just blow that up? Um, The mere fact that you may want your child to get to a college program, that you may want the psychic income of being able to say they're a collegiate athlete, or that you want them to live out the dream that you were never able to do. Because you could do that, I guess, vicariously, doesn't mean you should. 
And I think in the end, if you're not careful, you're going to end up just creating more problems for your child. Uh, but another belief I think that we we really need to to work to kind of stop um, is this idea of if I don't push my children hard now, they will never amount to anything. That idea is, I think, false, absolutely false. And so because because a child makes a mistake today doesn't mean they're going to have permanent problems tomorrow. People make mistakes and people grow up and eventually developmentally they're going to get to a completely different stage of life where those mistakes won't maybe – they'll outgrow some of those ideas, some of those mistakes. And so be careful of having too much intensity about your children not being good enough right now, not being on the right team, not being strong enough as athletes, because your intensity is actually creating, I think, some complexity and also some anxiety for your children. Back off. Back off, because it's not going to get easier by them thinking they're already a failure at age 12 because they didn't make a team, or 18 or 19 because they had an injury. Life's just beginning for these kids at this age, and the last thing parents need to do is create a complex for their children. Anyway, just a little coach's corner for you. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be uh, having one of our producers, Leanna Tan, giving us five reasons that America is worth fighting for, a tribute to our veterans. Uh, Straight ahead. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Um, when you think about it, uh, this uh, this whole idea of our parenting, we got to be so careful. And there's some there's some beliefs that I think that a lot of us carry as parents that maybe need to be pushed on a little bit. Um, I, I see a lot of clients, a lot of parents come in, and they want me to air quote fix their kids. Um, but let me just blow up a few thoughts that parents have that maybe we need to be abandoning. Um, One of them was just uh, basically touched on by our last guest um, when it comes to this idea of pay and play sports and getting our kid and getting a lot of psychic income off of our kid's game. Uh, One of the beliefs is that parents can live vicariously through their child. And can I just blow that up? Um, The mere fact that you may want your child to get to a college program, that you may want the psychic income of being able to say they're a collegiate athlete, or that you want them to live out the dream that you were never able to do. Because you could do that, I guess, vicariously, doesn't mean you should. And I think in the end, if you're not careful, you're going to end up just creating more problems for your child. Uh, but another belief I think that we, we really need to, to, work, to kind of stop um, is this idea of if I don't push my children hard now, they will never amount to anything. That idea is, I think, false, absolutely false. And so because because a child makes a mistake today doesn't mean they're going to have permanent problems tomorrow. People make mistakes and people grow up. And eventually developmentally, they're going to get to a completely different stage of life where those mistakes won't maybe – they'll outgrow some of those ideas, some of those mistakes. And so be careful of having too much intensity about your children not being good enough right now, not being on the right team, not being strong enough as athletes, because your intensity is actually creating, I think, some complexity and also some anxiety for your children. Back off. Back off, because it's not going to get easier by them thinking they're already a failure at age 12 
because they didn't make a team or 18 or 19 because they had an injury. Life's just beginning for these kids at this age. And the last thing parents need to do is create a complex for their children. Anyway, just a little coach's corner for you. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be uh, having one of our producers, Leanna Tan, giving us five reasons that America is worth fighting for, a tribute to our veterans. Uh, Straight ahead. Welcome back, friends. Remember, it's Friday. And because of that, uh, the next hour of the Matt Townsend Show will be hosted by Jeff Simpson, and he'll do what we call the screen cleaning show. It's gonna, he's going to be just taking on all things tech, screen, movies, pl- you name it, entertainment. So be looking forward to that next hour. But before that, we want to thank all of our veterans today in honor of Veterans Day. And in memory of their service, one of our producers, Leanna Tan, is going to spark their uh, the patriotism in all of us and share five things that she loves about America. If you didn't already know, today is a holiday. Maybe you forgot unless you got a coupon in the mail for a discount at Home Depot or a free meal. But today is a day we should all remember, coupons or not. It's Veterans Day, and no, this is not a holiday to nurse your injured pet back to health, as some of my fellow elementary classmates once thought. My grandpa says he was a vet in a war, just like the one you took your dog to when he was sick. Veterans Day is a public holiday held on the anniversary of the end of World War I to honor U.S. veterans and victims of all wars. And I do honor them. In fact, I've had several of my own family members serve for our country. And I'm so happy they fought for our freedom. Because I love our country. He was a famous trumpet man from all Chicago way. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's the boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B. In honor of all of them and all of those who have been veterans or victims, I came up with some things that I love about America. Here are five reasons America is worth fighting for. And now the company jumps when he plays Reveille. He's the boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B. Big portions and free refills. I'm a small person with a massive appetite. So I appreciate large American portions of food when I go to restaurants and a constantly full beverage. Saves me the trip of having to get up every few minutes to refill my plate. Who came up with the idea of buffets and never-ending pasta dishes? I owe them my life. Road trips. Venture a highway in the sunshine. Some of my greatest memories are flying down the highway, watching the scenery whiz past my windows, or stopping at a random rundown shop on the side of the road. America is a melting pot of diversity. Drive for a couple hours, and you can meet dozens of people from different cultures and backgrounds and see a diversity of landscape, too. From pine trees to palm trees in a matter of hours. Not to mention, we are blessed with driving rules. I'm so grateful for traffic lights and driving regulations, or else I'm pretty sure I would have been driven off the side of the road by now. Full refunds for returns. greater freedom than being able to buy anything you want at Walmart with the knowledge you can go back and get all your money back. Uh, Hi, I want to return this burrito. Just for the mere fact that 
You didn't like it. Wasn't big enough. In America, we promote shopping repentance. You know, when you make a spontaneous decision and immediately feel remorse and that looming feeling like you just plunged yourself into a dark abyss of debt? In America, we believe in shopping redemption. Uh, hi again. I want to return the 62-inch flat-screen TV. Full refunds. Yeah, it wasn't big enough. For just bringing your sorrows and guilt back to the customer service lady and laying them on the table. Being friends with my superiors. Thank you for being a friend. We live in a great society where we can call our bosses by their first name, our teachers by nicknames, and refer to celebrities or leaders by their last name without a title. I love being able to work and learn from my friends rather than live under the oppression of superiors. It's cool how in America it's not weird to have parties at a professor's house or send a cat meme to your boss. Lowers my stress levels. Deodorant. Oh, the blessings of living in a country with basic hygienic policies and access to sanitation and water. Trust me, I realized this great American benefit after walking in the heat of midsummer for hours a day, months on end, in a foreign country. Can't you smell that smell? With nothing to arm me but a can of aerosol spray. People cannot consider that deodorant. I'm feeling so patriotic now. But really, I love this country, and I do want to take a moment to sincerely thank all those who have fought for our freedoms. All those who have sacrificed to keep America safe and all those who died or were injured in war so that I can enjoy my weekend returns to Walmart or my double-sized cheeseburger or just be speaking to you right now over these radio waves telling you what I love about my country. So thank you, veterans, victims, and thank your families. Happy Veterans Day, everyone. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. Coming to America. Good morning. Welcome to sp- I almost said spring cleaning. Welcome to screen cleaning. I that did is that. the joke, Jeff. Well, Matt said it just previously, so I yeah, I got stuck saying it. Anyway, we're here every Friday, uh, nine o'clock Mountain Time, eleven a.m. Eastern Time, and today we've got a fantastic show for you. There's so much news that we could cover. We don't even have time to cover it all. You say it like we don't have a great show every week, Jeff. We do I have love a, doing this. We have a great show every every week, and you know, even though there's so much bad entertainment news going on right now, which we won't really focus on, there's also a lot of good news. going Going on. Uh, first of all, this is kind of a, a a lighter touch to some of the bad news that's going on right now with with everyone that's coming out making accusations against actors and producers and all sorts of people. Uh, you probably are aware by now that Kevin uh, Spacey is no longer going to be a part of House of Cards, and I don't think he's. I think he severed ties with Netflix as well. Well, there's this fan movement that's going on right now uh, to replace Kevin Spacey with Kevin James. Really, the only logical choice. They're splitting images for each other to, like, visually, and their comedic timing is just exactly the same, really, when you (laughs) you break it down. So So 
There's 28,000 signatures so far to replace Kevin Spacey with Kevin James, and they're going to be sending these signatures to Netflix. I, Where do I sign up? Jeff? Yeah, exactly. Can you picture Kevin James on House of Cards? I don't Absolutely. think I've ever seen him do anything dramatic. <laughs> yeah. You can't even take it seriously, can you, Cole? Oh, this, that's the best news of my morning. So I, this isn't necessarily good news that I'm about to mention, but I, I, I wanted to throw a question out there to you and see what, where you weigh in on this. All right. Over the, over the years, people have been stripped of titles. You know, there have been Miss Americas that have been stripped of their title. There have been people that have had medals taken away in the Olympics. But I don't believe anybody's ever been stripped of their Oscars. And yet several of these people that have been accused of, um, of harassment, we'll say, uh, they have Oscars. Kevin Spacey has mm-hmm. two. Harvey Weinstein has one. And I wonder if there's going to be a discussion about whether or not uh, these people should be stripped of their Oscars. I think it's a natural question to ask. I, I, I think of this in terms of sports. Also, that's my other. That's the other foot I have in like a different camp. But the, for instance, the Heisman gets stripped a lot of times when people make infractions against the NCAA that have nothing to do with their performance on the field. So people will say, oh, well, that has nothing to do with the fact that they acted. Well, it never really does. And they still get taken away because the face that we want to put on these things is not the face of a of a slime ball. And that's what these people are. Wow. That's bold. I'm okay with like I'm okay with it. Because when I go to the Wikipedia page, it's still gonna say, you know, Kevin Spacey redacted or whatever. Like (laughs) it's still gonna be sort of remembered, but I have not a problem with officially taking it away. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. And every day it just seems like, all right, who's it going to be next? Who's going to be the next one to be accused of something? But I guess in in a way it's good that there's a a light that's being shined on this and that people are being brave and and stepping up to to people who may or may not have been bullies to them. You betcha. So good for them. Uh, We are actually going to head over to Rod Gustafson right now who uh, is going to give us a little taste of what's coming up this weekend. And spoiler alert, I've actually seen one of the two new uh, big releases that are coming out this weekend. Rod Gustafson is from Parent Previews, and we're here to talk about those films. Rod, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Hello. Nice to be here. So uh, I, I'm i very interested to see what you have to say about Daddy's Home 2, because <laughs> this is the film that I saw last night with my wife, and uh, I, I have some thoughts as well. <laughs> All right. Well, Daddy's Home 2. First of all, if you've seen Daddy's Home number one, you've got a pretty good idea of what's going to be happening. So for the for the people that haven't seen Daddy's Home number one, what the setup was is you've got this woman who's remarried. She's got a couple of kids and uh, but her ex uh, husband is still very much wanting to be in their lives. And uh, he is a totally different person than the man that she has married. And I'll get, tell you how totally different he is. He's played by Mark Wahlberg, and the man she's married is played by Will Farrell. Farrell plays this real soft and, and, and I don't know, just kind of mushy kind of character. And Mark Wahlberg is just this kind of motorcycle guy who's rough, tough, and everything else. So that was the setup in the first movie. By the end of the movie, the two of them were starting to get a Along, and at the beginning of this movie, the two of them are getting along fabulously until 
their fathers show up for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And again, all we have to do is just look at the actors where Will Ferrell's character, his father's played by John Lithgow, and the other character, uh, the Mark Wahlberg character, is being played by none other than Mel Gibson. So just looking <laughs> at the two actors, we know that all of the comedy basically in this movie is going to come from the foil, from the contrast between between these two men. And the two of them dealing with their sons, and they both have some criticisms about how their sons are doing things and raising kids, and, and so on and on it goes. Um, you know, the, the people I felt the sorriest for in this movie were the children, and I guess that's my biggest complaint about Daddy's Home 1 and probably maybe even a little bit more about Daddy's Home number number two um is this supposed to be a christmas movie and all of them wind up going out into this big cabin in the woods where they where all these hijinks happen that involve snow blowers and chainsaws and a few other things um and really i was i was left feeling like as we watch the adults work through and try and solve these problems and we get these goofy scenes for instance kids getting drunk on eggnog and that type of thing and uh I'm thinking the the kids are almost like guinea pigs in a laboratory experiment as we watch the adults try and work out their problems. And, and I thought, you know, is this really, this is the best that we can do for a happy Christmas movie these days. And so even though there were funny scenes, absolutely admit it. Um, there's a scene where, where um, Will Ferrell's character is trying to operate a snowblower. And of course it gets out of control and winds up chewing up all of the Christmas lights in their front yard and on their house and everything else. Usually those types of scenes, I don't find all that funny. That one actually worked pretty good. That was pretty, that one I, I had a few chuckles at and, uh, and axed him with a chainsaw. If you've watched the trailer, you've seen this already where he ends up, what he thinks is a Christmas tree actually is a decorative cell phone tower. It, that was kind of humorous too. But you know, for the most part, I just came away feeling like, Oh, I feel sorry for children these days. And that's that's well, where Daddy's Home too left me. Rod, you know the person I felt most sorry for was myself. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> because we were on the way to the movie theater. I went with my wife and I said, I'm going to predict that this is going to be one of those movies where all of the funny parts came in the trailer. And that's really how I felt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes. I went, we were a little late. So I actually came in as they were doing some kind of a school assembly or something. And my wife was out getting uh, food for us. So I felt really bad for my wife because all those funny parts that happened in the trailer happened in the first 15 minutes. And she yes. missed all of those scenes. So she didn't get to see any of the funny parts, in my opinion. And I, I felt like I was watching an extended trailer. I felt like... They, there were so many mishaps and gags and montages that they were just speeding through. I, I out loud several times, I just said, can we just slow down? Let's just slow down and take our time at this. It was so madcap. And uh, I felt like, you know, if you've squeezed a lemon of all its juice and yet you still have some more food that you want to uh, to put the juice on, you're trying to squeeze 
this no. juice out of something that's not there. I felt like they were trying to squeeze jokes out of something that wasn't funny in the first place. And I, I, I could just picture them saying, maybe if we keep saying these words over and over and over, and maybe if we say them louder each time, maybe then they'll finally laugh at this joke. And, yeah. and to me, you know you're in trouble when the, the fake movie within the movie that they go to see is funnier than the movie that you're watching. <laughs> you know, yes. the, the Liam Neeson action movie Mistletoe, uh, which is yes. a beautiful pun there. And uh, there's a scene toward the end when uh, Mel Gibson puts his arm around uh, John Lithgow, and they're you know they're talking about going to Vegas, spending New Year's in Vegas. And I said, see now that would have been a much more interesting movie to me, John Lithgow and Mel Gibson in Vegas on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Although I'm sure it would have been a raunchier movie, but that seemed like a better premise to me than this film, which we've actually seen many many times before. And it wouldn't surprise me if the premise that you just spoke of isn't on the clipboard <laughs> of some Hollywood producers thinking, hey, we can make some money with this. We'll see yeah, how much no, how much this movie makes first, though. Yeah, absolutely agreed, Jeff. You know, this was one of those films where you could you could predict what was going to happen in virtually each scene. Uh, the only one that was totally off the mark for me is where the four men wind up in this uh, in this comedy improv club for what might be the most awkward moment I've seen in a movie this year. Wow. And not awkward in a good way. It was almost awkward like it was supposed to be awkward within the movie, but even in the audience, it was just like, oh, what is going on? Is this a comedy? Is this a drama? Yeah. Where is this thing going? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Rod, I wish we had time to get to the other uh, big release that's out today, Murder on the Orient Express. It's been made a dozen times or so, but it mm-hmm. stars... Uh, if you've, well, if you've seen one of the others, you've seen it. <laughs> right. Well, it stars Kenneth Branagh and a ton of other famous people. I wish I would have seen this instead of uh, Daddy's Home too. But there you have yeah, it. Yeah, amazing film. Yeah. Great choices uh, to choose from. One, to feel better about yourself and your family after you see Daddy's Home too, And one, to uh, leave you on the edge of your seat with Murder on the Orient Express. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we've got uh, some great discussion coming up with a friend of ours. We know we're between two big superhero movies. And we're going to be discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well as the DC Extended Universe. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning. Welcome to a 90-second movie review for Thor Ragnarok on BYU Radio. Chris Hemsworth returns as Thor and he must save his beloved Asgard from total annihilation and deal with family issues on a godly scale. This third installment of the Thor franchise is the best of the three and possibly the best character-based Marvel film. Yep, I said it. This is the film fans of the God of Thunder were looking for. The reason is the director, Taika Waititi. Marvel's formula of finding a low-budget director and giving him a huge budget worked again and to the betterment of the Marvel franchise. All the characters in the film are brilliant and they do their part to make this adventure come to life. The sets are creative, the action is exciting, and the comedy is just right. Watching Hulk, played by Mark Ruffalo, and Thor have a conversation was hilarious. Kate Blanchett did a great job as the evil and conniving Hela. Waititi even did his part as Korg, a fighter made of rock. The story moves at a very good pace, never feeling slow. The only problem is a couple of CGI backgrounds that looked CGI and not natural. Of course, parents will know that this comic book-based film will have plenty of fighting in it. One person loses an eye and 
the wound is seen for the rest of the film. Some suggestive language is used, as well as some profanity. Hulk's rear end is seen, and people on the screen react to seeing him naked. Some drinking is on screen, and there is some massive destruction and epic battle scenes. Thor Ragnarok is rated PG-13, and I am giving it an A grade. I'm Sean O'Neill. Thanks for listening. This has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio. You know, director Steven Spielberg has suggested that superhero movies are going to go the way of the Western. That's a prediction he's making. And yet, it seems like we keep coming out with more and more superhero movies. Marvel Studios has released three films in 2017. It's got three more slated for 2018. DC films, two scheduled for 2017. So, you know, maybe there's another side to that argument. And we've got somebody here today who's going to... uh, He's going to give his two cents on that topic. His name is Jacob Gowans. He's been on the show before. He is an author. He is a dentist. And he is a Marvel and DC expert. In fact, he's even been on a couple of Comic-Con panels. He, he's just a really uh, nerdy, in-the-know type of guy when it comes to Marvel comics. Wouldn't you say that's right, Jacob? Jacob? I'm, I am a nerd, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, we've got that on record now. So I'm hoping, you know, for all of us people who are not as in the know when it comes to Marvel Comics and and DC Comics, can you briefly explain to us the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well as the DC Expanded Universe, I think is what they call it? Yes. So uh, the Marvel Universe is uh, all of the films plus all of the television shows that are basically interlinked with certain characters. The Marvel Universe is basically Thor, Captain America, all the Avengers, and the Guardians of the Galaxy. And it also includes the TV show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Defenders shows on Netflix. The DC Universe is only four films so far, and it's Wonder Woman, Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Suicide Squad. Hmm. So they're a little behind... Uh, which I already know the answer to this, but which of those two universes do you prefer and why? Oh, the Marvel universe is, uh, possibly the greatest thing to happen in cinema in my lifetime. Whoa. That is bold, sir. Yes. Wow. Okay. Now, why, why is that? Well, I mean, I would say there have only been a few revolutionary moments in cinema in my lifetime. Um, I would say maybe Jurassic Park, Matrix, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe are all – I would say those are three things cinematically that have actually changed cinema. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe is not just – not just because they've linked the films together so well, but because they've managed to consistently put out films that are critically and audience – proved over the i mean it's over 17 films 17 films i mean james bond couldn't do that i mean uh (laughs) star wars can't hasn't done that no one has done what they've done 17 films that have all been critically and audience well approved now not all of them have been perfect or, or great but all of them have been generally good to great my goodness. Now, you and I have had discussions about this before, and this this category of films that I'm about to mention is not in the discussion, but if I were given the choice to choose this over Marvel or DC movies, I would go with 
the Dark Knight trilogy by Christopher Nolan. And you've heard many of my thoughts about that, but I'll just say the reason I love that series so much is because I like films that have a definite end in mind. Because to me, they've got a beginning, middle, and end already planned. The stakes are higher. The quality is less likely to deteriorate. And it leaves you wanting more. I mean, that's why Jerry Seinfeld ended his show when he did, because he wanted to go out on top. Now, I will agree with you. I am shocked at how consistently good the MCU films have been. I think from here on out, we'll refer to them as MCU films. And I'm curious to know, because you you brought up a good point. You brought up uh, James Bond hasn't been able to do that, and Star Wars hasn't been able to do that. Both series have changed uh, directors along the way, and Marvel, the MCU films, are no exception. They seem to constantly change directors, and yet... The the quality is pretty consistent. Why do you think? How do you how do you think they've been able to do that? I would say you have to give most of the credit to Kevin Feige. He has been the he's been like the brain of this entire thing. I mean, he came up with the idea, he executed it um, his way, and he's he's also slowly removed people who have kind of hindered the vision. I mean, you look at. You, the the thing that's most amazing about what's going on is that the films are generally getting better. Um, most of your weaker MCU films were in the earlier half. The last maybe six films that have come out have have been, or, or I guess maybe even the last, the second half of films that have been released were generally better than the first half. So they're improving the formula, and they're also starting to now trust their directors more to make more unique films with uh, less studio interference, I think. Yeah. So I don't think anybody would argue that uh, things are going incredibly well for the DC films. Why do you think they're struggling to follow the same pattern that Marvel has established? I can think of maybe two or three reasons. The first one is that Kevin Feige is a comic book nerd, and he was given control over this. So you have a man who's in love with the stories he's telling. You know, you know, it's it's driven by love. And yes, of course they want to make money, and of course they they have this. They sometimes have to sacrifice uh, storytelling for the the continuity. That 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 does happen. But generally speaking, these people, the people that are making these films, are comic book nerds. The Russo brothers, uh, James Gunn. Um, these people, these are people who love what they're doing. And generally speaking, the best films have been made by people who love those characters. Uh, and DC doesn't have that. Hmm. Uh, they were, they were studio run and it was, you know, Zack Snyder, uh, is not necessarily a huge comic book guy. And so you have, you have that, but that's, that's one reason. And I think second is that they tried to copy Marvel but they wanted to catch up too quickly. Like they didn't, if they had wanted to copy Marvel's formula of saying, let's introduce four or five standalone films and then do a team up movie that might've worked better than they did man of steel, man of steel didn't do so well. And so rather than, rather than looking at, okay, what didn't work there, they just threw another big character on top of it and tried to make that work. And again, it, it, it they, they just never built that foundation of characters to to continue building and spreading like Marvel's done. 
And now it seems like they're trying to change their game plan a little bit. And I read an article about this. You read it, too. And it's to me, it's super confusing their, the direction they're taking this in because it seems like they're saying, OK, we're going to establish this extended universe, but, you know, we're not going to try to pile everybody into one movie. But then also we're going to do these other films that aren't a part of the universe with different actors portraying the same characters. To me, it's just super confusing. And I wonder if it's going to work out for them. Yeah, it's it's a huge gamble. I mean, so some things that I've noticed is number one is that they're trying to go the comedy route now with the Justice League. They brought in Joss Whedon because of the whole thing that happened with Zack Snyder and his family, which you know is really tragic. Yeah. But they 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 brought in Joss Whedon and he's supposed to be like kind of humoring up the Justice League, which, you know, truthfully, like I don't think that that's necessarily gonna work well for them. I mean, everyone would welcome some humor, but I mean, we don't need another comic book universe that's that one of the main drives of it is the comedy marvel's done a really good job striking that balance and i think that the justice league should focus more on like issues that i mean they can almost be like a metaphor this gods like how how do gods mingle with men kind of a the morality of what they the powers that they have you know what i mean because the, yeah. the dc characters are so much more powerful than the marvel characters um so i don't think they're going to strike the right tone with that well, you mentioned Joss Whedon. He seemed to do quite well uh, for one of the phases of the Marvel films. Do you think having him work on the, the DC films, do you think that's going to help them go in the right direction? I, I don't know. Um, they, I haven't seen any reviews coming out for the film yet. That's always an uh, interesting sign. You know, Yeah. Uh, it's... It's hard to say. I mean, it it could be one of those situations where the film feels really uneven because you have Zack Snyder's fingerprints on it and then you have Joss Whedon's fingerprints on it. It could be that kind of situation or maybe maybe it'll be pretty good. I mean, who knows? I just when when we had when we had Marvel's The Avengers, almost all the characters had been introduced and you knew them by then. We don't really know The Flash, we don't know Aquaman, we don't know Cyborg. Um and so it's going to be it's going to be kind of a tough sell to introduce all these new characters and and still you know push forward the narrative of the story and it's and apparently the movie's not even that long it's it's the shortest dc movie of that universe yet interesting so in the few minutes that we have left of the the interview part i was hoping that you and i could share our top 5 uh, mcu films and i'll okay. go i'll go first real quick and uh, I'm sure your picks are going to be way different from mine, as we uh, often disagree on these types of films. So in I'll go from five down to one. The okay. My number five pick is the most recent one that I've seen, which is Thor Ragnarok. And I know this really ruffled Cole's feathers. Uh, and I think he's in there right now just pulling out his hair because... I was okay with the fact that, yeah, all the comedy may have been out of character for pretty much all of these characters, but I enjoyed the fact that it was just all about fun, and there was some really good banter in it, which is hard to pull off. And yeah. uh, to, for me at this point, I'm not really—I'm just going into these films looking to be entertained because they've already established that they're not going to uh, cater to my preferences— which I'll get to here in a second. I just enjoyed it. Very colorful. I love the music. And, you know, anything with Jeff Goldblum is going to be a big hit. My number four is Ant-Man. One of the reasons Ant-Man is my number four is because I like the fact that this 
for the most part, is a standalone film. I know it includes uh, what's his name, Falcon. Right, thank you, Cole, uh, for a brief <laughs> fight scene. But it could have existed on its own. And I love that all these Marvel movies that are just so big in scale, this one decided, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're just going to tone it down. We're going to tell a simple high story. And for me, it worked. And it was really funny. Really charming leads in it, too. My number three would be The Avengers. I remember seeing that in the movie theater and being blown away by the scope of this film. And I left the film thinking, how are they going to top this film? Where are they going to go? This is just a such a huge film. Also very funny, and Joss Whedon, as you know, is involved with that one. My number two pick would be Guardians of the Galaxy, and I actually like this movie the more I watch it. To me, it has a very uh, rebellious spirit to it. I You can't watch it without thinking of the first Star Wars film, and they the casting is so great, especially with Dave Bautista, who does... Oh, such a good job. His his comic timing in the film is, is wonderful. And it's just such mm-hmm. a unique film. Again, one that I wish that they would have just kept in its own franchise and not joined it up with all the other Mar- Marvel films. But there you have it. My number one pick has got to be Iron Man, though. This is the film that started it all. It's got a very rebellious spirit to it as well. And probably uh, the best ending in any of these Marvel films. And, you know, you, you can't... Uh, you're, you have to give credit to Robert Downey Jr. who steals the show and kind of established the the pattern of the movies to follow it af- to follow after it. Just kind of this improvisational feeling to it, just a, a, a funny center to it by all, but also just being a good action movie. Those are my top five. Okay, uh, so we actually have two of the same films in our top five. <gasps> uh, yeah, I know. Uh, and and you, and some of yours are actually very close to my top five. Okay, um, but here, here here I go. So my number five is Guardians of the Galaxy two. Hmm. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy two was a little flawed, but man, the heart of that film with with I mean I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't. But just the relationship between Yondu and Peter Quill, and they I felt like they fleshed out some more of those characters more, especially Rocket Raccoon, and um, it, this film really tugged at the heartstrings, maybe more than any of the Marvel films yet. And, uh, I mean, I was moved during the, you know, toward the end of the film and just probably by far the funniest of the films as well. Okay. Um, my fourth film is gardens galaxy one. And, uh, I have to say that I am very glad that they are tying the guardians films into the big Avengers infinity war. I know you are. <laughs> and and I do like that they're gonna go back to you know when Guardians Galaxy three comes out it'll go back to them being on their own again so the, so the rest you know their their next films won't um, cross over but okay but I agree with all the points that you said my third film is Captain America Winter Soldier this is probably the Marvel film that really explored some current day issues you know with what's the price of uh security probably has the best action sequences of any of the marvel films with the elevator scene and also the one-on-one fight between cap and bucky mm-hmm. my number two film is captain america civil war i just love this movie <laughs> I, I just love it and and honestly, the only thing that makes it work as well as it does is the fact that we've had three Iron Man films, 
and we've had two Captain America films before it, and we see that friendship being tested, and uh, just I, I just love this movie. And then number one is Iron Man for all the reasons that you said. I just I love it, and I especially love uh, the first third of this film when he is in the caves with uh, his the guy that I don't remember his name, even the scientist and just the, the sacrifice that really completely changes Tony's life and sets the tone for the, sure. the Marvel. So, okay. Fantastic. Well, one more quick question. Is there an yeah. end in sight for these films? Yes, there is. Yes. Now I, it may not be the end that you're thinking of, but no, cause I'm they sure they'll, said, they'll recast and reboot it and everything. <laughs> yes, they will be rebooted. There'll be new characters. I think that Avengers 3 and 4 will definitely mark the end of what we know as the MCU. And it'll definitely be a turning point where they'll probably be bringing in a lot of new faces to play new characters and maybe rebooting some characters. I don't think it'll be a reboot like Daniel Craig will now be playing James Bond, but like a new person may take on the helm of Iron Man or Captain America or sure. things like that. Okay. All right. Well, fantastic. Thank you for that discussion, and, and uh, hey, I'm glad to hear I, I, that— I that talk we... about it for another hour if you wanted. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, Cole <laughs> has put together a fun trivia game for us, and I'm going to turn All things right. over to Cole to explain what's going to happen next. Cole? When the world needs saving, you call superheroes. When the world needs trivia about superheroes, eh, you call these guys. It's Movie Man and Trivia Guy, only on screen clean. I so I I'm assuming I'm the Movie Man and Jacob is the Trivia Guy. That's what I had in well, my mind. Okay, yeah. that's that's a fair saying. assessment. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna prove us right here in a second here, Cole. So how is it gonna work? So the game will go as follows: There are multiple points to be had, and I will be keeping score. No cheating, Jeff. I've played games what? with you before. <laughs> um, but I have questions of varying difficulty from both Marvel and DC films oh, uh, no. and, and their respective universes. And so as we go, each question will demand a little bit more of you. So, for example, in the first round, uh, Jeff, I'll be giving you a question regarding the DC world. Mm. And I'll only need one answer out of you. All right. not. But in the next round... I'll need three answers out of you for Whoa. an opportunity for three points, up to three points. I thought maybe you were referring to the fact that I give like ten answers hoping one of them is right. Not quite. Okay. <laughs> There's the one-point category, the three-point category, the five-point category, and then the unlimited category. Ooh. Whoa. Okay. But let's, we'll start at one. Let's do it. So from the DC Universe, Jeffrey, to start us off, in 2020, we will finally be getting another addition into the Green Lantern world. We all forget about the little 2011 uh, debacle, but another movie is coming down the pike, and if you got an eagle eye in that Justice League trailer, some people may think that some Green Lanterns might be showing up in next week's Justice League, but from Green Lantern, do you know the Green Lantern Oath? This is this is the first level. Holy cow. The the Green Lantern Oath. I believe it is I promise not to be as bad as the version with Ryan Reynolds. Yes. <laughs> not quite. Not not good enough for a point, but uh, Okay, what is it? Um well, I I can give Jacob a chance. Jacob knows it. Oh, of course I do. 
<laughs> in brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power, Green Lantern's light. Can we just make you the new Green Lantern? You sounded <laughs> oh, like no. you meant it. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. In the first level and from the Marvel world, though, Jacob, this is the question uh-huh. for you. For one point, uh, you you both said that you appreciated Iron Man and how it began everything. And Agent Coulson in that tries to introduce a little initiative a few different times. Uh, and it's not until the very end that we get him to actually say the acronym version that we're more <sighs> familiar with. Do you know what SHIELD stands for? Oh, of course I do. Then tell us. It's uh, Strategic Homeland Intervention Espionage Logistics Division. Very close. So Ah. as I've looked back in the comic books, there have been a couple different ways that they've spelled this out, and espionage has been in it before. So I'm going to give you a point, but (laughs) when Agent Coulson says it in Iron Man and in the MCU specifically, it is the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Um, Division. Whoa. Ah. You know what? Uh, You're right. I think that – and I think think Homeland is – you know what? You're right. Uh, I think it used to be something else besides Homeland as well. Oh, no. We don't need the backstory on this one. (laughs) There there have been a few different (laughs) versions. They change what they change. But after round one – Jacob's got one point. No, no points for stealing here because I went a little okay. bit easy on Jeff. Yeah, uh, and then wait, zero that was that was easy. Oh boy, this is gonna go swimmingly. I just know it. But now we flip flop. <laughs> so you got a DC question in the first one. Now you get a Marvel. Question. Okay, for up to three points. We've talked a lot about the Marvel cinematic movie universe, mm-hmm. but now let's bring it home. Uh, they have a lot of television properties as well, and there are three shows currently. Well that have been on ABC for a point per show that you can name. What are the three MCU TV shows on network TV? Agents of shield ding agent Carter ding and oh, all on ABC. You said all on just the ones on ABC. Yes. Just the ones on ABC. Oh, uh, Ooh, inhumans. Yes. With its season finale coming tonight. Don't miss it. (laughs) Oh, I can't believe I got that right. So that's your three points. All All right. right. You ready, Jacob? I am ready. Coming from DC. um, We've mentioned Batman v Superman, Dawn of the Justice League or whatever, whatever. Um, And that had a lot of different plot elements thrown into it. One of them was the death of Superman, right? Mm -hmm. And that comes from a comic book arc from the early 90s where... After the death of Superman, four different supermen rose up. One of them was the bad guy, Cyborg Superman. But can you, right. for up to three points, name the other three supermen? Of course I can. <laughs> of course I can. Uh, the Eradicator, Superboy, and um, John, J- uh, John Henry Irons, the Man of Steel. Correct. Do you love how he laughed at you, Cole? Like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> Were you I've born read yesterday? The death of Superman so many times. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it is the seminal DC comic book. I mean, it made a lot of money. I think everyone alive in 1993 bought that comic book. So. That was what got me into comics. There you go. Wow. Yep. I think I've yep. glanced at a comic book once. Ugh. I think I, I even touched one, maybe. <laughs> All right, Jeff. You ready to take on the DC universe again? Yes. Since Adam West in the 1960s. 
Batman has made his home in movies many, many times Mm -hmm. uh, and under five different actors mm-hmm. for up to five points can you name the five men that have live actionly played the dark knight and not counting adam west you so said, not right? since adam okay. west yes we've got michael keaton one we've got val kilmer two we've got george clooney three christian bale four ben affleck five points wow hey yeah. oh yeah i know my live action batman but that's about it <laughs> All righty. And so now to the Marvel Universe and Jacob's chance to get five points of his own. There's been big news of late that Marvel might be taking over the movie arm or at least part of it of 20th Century Fox, right? Um, Yeah. Which means that we might get to see X-Men and the Fantastic Four join the MCU. Oh, please don't. As of today, they're not officially, but... Next year, there is an X-Men movie coming out that has my particular interest. For up to five points, can you name the five original members of The New Mutants, the first offshoot of Chris Claremont's Uncanny X-Men in the 1980s? Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) You think you got me here. Um, Magic? Magic is one. Ileana Rasputin, uh, Colossus's little sister, is one of the new mutants. Okay. Mm, uh, Wolfsbane? Rain St. Clair, also one of the new mutants. Wow. He's getting there. Um, what about uh, Polaris? No. Uh, then I don't know anymore. That's it. I All got right. two. I can tell you who the actors are. I mean, the kid from Stranger Things is in it, and the girl from the movie Split by M. Night Shyamalan, she's in it too. So that girl will be playing Magic, who okay. he got. The kid from Stranger Things will be playing Cannonball. Okay. Uh, oh. That's Sam Guthrie from Kentucky. Can't wait to see that English actor put on another Southern accent. But some other members of the New Mutants, you had Mirage and Sunspot. As well. Oh, uh, sunspot. I, I had a sunspot once. <laughs> I went to a doctor and cleared it right up, though. But Jacob did get two points out of it. Good and for so you. Jeff is currently leading <gasps> eight. How is that six? How is that possible? Okay. Bring it on. So now for an unlimited number of points. We've been increasing the answers up until this point, and technically it's, it's up to 17. And because... the unlimited to coincide with the number of films that Marvel has put out and will put out. And that's what we're getting to. So the okay. MCU is praised for many things, but it's maligned for maybe the strength of its bad guys. Mm. Uh, some people may call them even forgettable. And so, Jeff, for as many as you can name, can you name the main bad guys of the Marvel movies. Oh my goodness. There are 17 think... of them and I'll be ticking them off as you go. I think forgettable was the uh well, we'll start with the most recent one. There's Hela. I guess Loki, could he be considered a bad guy? The bad guy of Thor 1. Yes. Okay. Um oh, there's Jeff Bridges. <laughs> I can name all the actors. Does that count? From Iron Man 1. Yes, from Iron Man 1. Um, Michael Keaton was Hawkeye. No. Uh, Hawk Breath. No. Um, Hawk Egg. No. It's got Hawk in it. No. Oh, boy. The Vulture. Yes. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, mm, there's, uh, Mickey Rourke with Russian accent in Iron Man 2. But what is his name? Whiplash. 
Yep. Yes. That counts too. Yes. Okay. Iron Man three. It's can we count the Mandarin as one of them? He is. He's the main guy. Even yeah. though it wasn't really the Mandarin. Eh, he says he's the Mandarin. Okay. Uh, ben Kingsley. Um, the uh, the Winter Soldier. Yeah, Captain America two. Kind of. It, it was Hydra and the Winter Soldier that were the yeah. bad guy. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go with um. Ego in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yep. Kurt Russell. Still, I mean, a lot of great actors for a lot of forgettable villains. Can we, can we, can I call Thanos one of them? Or not yet? He will be in Infinity War, but he hasn't been the proper main bad guy okay. yet in a single movie. Uh, the, the bee from Ant-Man. <laughs> What's... He had a yellow costume on. Mm-hmm. Um, the Avengers, it was, gosh, I don't know. I'm going to call it there. Tick, tick, tick. All I'm right. good there. So you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven out of 17, Jeff. Hey. hey. That's a decent average. <laughs> oh, no. And there are plenty. I mean, you mentioned that Jeff Bridges was in Iron Man 1. He was Obadiah Stane, uh, the Iron Monger. Stane? It's a horrible name. Yeah, yep. horrible. Uh, and then, if you want to find the rest of them, go to Wikipedia because there's. Um, oh, I'm going to do nine that. others that I'm, Jeff didn't get. I'm going to do that right when this is over. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. All right. <laughs> so he's Jeff has now added seven points to his total, yes. which brings yeah. it up to fifteen. So Jacob, to catch That's him, awesome. you will need nine in this unlimited category. And I went truly unlimited for you. Even though the DCEU movies have been less than spectacular, the DC animated shows on television have always been fantastic. One of my personal favorites was always Justice League Unlimited. For an unlimited number of points, can you name some of those unlimited heroes that were members of the Justice League, not including the original seven? So any of the side other heroes that came to the Justice League in that television show, ready, go. Let's see. You had uh, Dove and Hawk. Or Hawk correct? and Dove. Yep. Hawk and Dove. Okay. Um, let's see. You had uh, you had more Green Lanterns, I believe. You had, uh, I think, I want to say uh, Black Canary. Mm-hmm. Um, Red Tornado. As many Green Lanterns as you can name, I'll give you points for them. I can't oh, wow. just... Okay. Uh, you- you had uh, uh, Guy Gardner. Uh, I don't. I don't know if Kyle Rayner was ever a part of it, but I know that um, uh, John. Now blanking here for a second. Yeah, here, John Stewart Jordan was one of the originals. The original. Yeah. Wait a minute. He's getting points because he can name the different hues of green. Wow. <laughs> I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, Captain Adam. Hmm. I think they introduced what's her name? Uh, uh, gosh, the the magical. Oh, goodness gracious! How am I? Zay Zatanna. Yep, there um, it is. I think Star Girl was in there. Um, and was, for one I, more for the win, uh, Green Arrow. There it is. Wow. <laughs> well done. Thank you. You did what we all knew you would. Uh, I try. <laughs> well, Jacob Gallons, I've had some fun with you. I, I hope you had a good time, too. Oh, yeah, man, anytime. Okay. 
Well, his name is Jacob Gallons. We're definitely going to have him back on the show because we need his know-how on this show. When it comes to Marvel and DC Comics, he's the go-to guy. He's also a dentist. He's an author of several YA books, including A Tale of Light and Shadows, that series, as well as the Scion Beta series. And he's also a Marvel and DC expert. Maybe you can catch him at Comic-Con next year. We're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. This is Screen Cleaning. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes the Spider-Man. Music just makes me so happy, and which is fitting because we're going to talk to Jeremy and Jason at uh, BYU Sports Nation, two guys that make me happy. Uh, Jeremy and Jason, how are you? Sports time, Excellent. ball night. Whoa, you have like an otherworldly echo. Build me an arc. <laughs> oh, now it's gone. That's kind of um, you know, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm not going to do a tease for what's coming up on our show because it's Cause it's pretty much already over. So I'm going to do a little recap of what we talked about. And uh, we talked about a a particular Christmas movie that is out this weekend that I would definitely not put on my list of top favorite Christmas movies of all time. Okay. I, of course, am speaking of Daddy's Home 2. Uh, the Cash Grab, I think, is the subtitle for that movie. Don't ruin this for me. Are you... I love the first one, and I was looking forward to seeing the second one. Okay. Let me just put it this way. If, uh, if, if you want to laugh, don't be in the lobby getting food during the first 15 minutes of the movie like my wife did, because when she came back, all the laughs had already happened. You know, like that in a way doesn't surprise me. <laughs> it's one, honestly, the trailer for that is so funny. Oh, yeah. It's like the mood that that has to be all of the funny parts. Yep. And <laughs> I, I went in, I went into the theater on the way to the theater. I said, Janelle, uh, I have a feeling this is going to be a movie where everything funny uh, that's going to happen will have happened in the trailer. And sure enough. Anyway, I'm just gonna, Adam Sandler doesn't like that idea. Yeah, I'm going to red box it, probably. That's how I saw the first one. <laughs> so I'm curious to know what are some of your favorite Christmas movies, because I don't think you're going to find it here. Uh, Die Hard. Uh, Christmas Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I love the people that justify Die Hard yeah. being a Christmas movie. Well, I wore a winter sweater yesterday. <laughs> yes, that's show, true. Which Come on. quite the disturbance in the forest. Yeah, yeah. My favorite Christmas movies are uh, Lord of the Rings and uh, Star Wars. <laughs> you mean the movies that came out at Christmas? Yeah, came out at Christmas. Okay. Oh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It's a classic. Home you Alone. Know, yeah, Home Alone. Elf. I, I actually think Christmas Vacation is the funniest of the vacation films. Uh, you know what? I actually would uh, would agree with you on that. It's probably my favorite of all of them. One of my favorite lines from that film is uh, when he gets the the membership into the Jelly of the Month Club, and Randy Quaid says, "That's the gift that keeps giving all year long." It's so funny. <laughs> Let me tell you, Cousin Eddie is an underrated side character in movie lore. Independence Day. Oh yeah. As well. Yes. Yeah. Hello, yeah. boys. I'm back. <laughs> Has there been a greater Kazakazi Kamikaze movie moment? Oh no. 
No way. No, it's top five for me. Yeah, loved it. Love uh, me some Cousin Eddie. What about a Christmas story? Did you guys say a Christmas, Christmas story? Christmas is really good. Yeah, do you guys get into yeah. the uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. 24 hours of a Christmas story? I, I don't watch all 24. <laughs> I watch about eight. <laughs> but but I, I like the fact that at any point during that 24 hours, I can flip in. it on and it's on. I, yeah. I enjoy that. Yeah. It's nice to be bored sometimes. We love the TV edited Love Actually that cuts out entire storylines that uh yeah when people <laughs> I've say never seen love actually so, so when people say you've loved, did you know martin freeman was in love actually or no he's not i don't remember that storyline yeah we won't even go there <laughs> he was edited out apparently yeah the whole storyline tnt it's dynamite yeah anyway uh thanks for sharing your favorites with us so i'm curious to know what's coming up on your show other than i i guess there's some kind of a game going on yeah it's uh, BYU Sports Nation, the uh, gift that keeps on giving. Uh, Spencer <laughs> Linton is in Vegas getting ready for our pre- and post-game show. So uh, Jace Shepard in today on a game day, which is fun because BYU is playing UNLV. BYU is a four-point, three-and-a-half-point now uh, underdog. Do we expect BYU to win this game? We will discuss. Adam Amin will call the game for ESPN. He's one of our good friends here on the program. Adam we'll Levine? Uh, at not Adam Levine, oh, Adam okay. Amin. Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. All right. If we got Adam Levine, <laughs> that would be quite the uh, the guest list today. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Dennis Pitta, former BYU great, uh, and also uh, Jimmer Fredette. Oh, shoves his way to fifty four points. Yes. Who did he shove last night that used to play in the NBA? Ooh, like a Shoving wow, a little fight. Yes, a little awesome. little fire. <laughs> we will discuss. It's all coming up. Exciting. That's coming up here in just five minutes and five seconds on BYU Radio. It's Sports Nation with Jeremy and Jason. You're not going to want to miss it. Thanks, gents. Thank Thank you. you. Wow. You know, there is... I know I was harsh on Will Ferrell today, but there is one great Christmas movie that he was a part of. And in fact, we're going to talk about it today in our Panning for Good segment. There's good in them dire hills. (laughs) Now, the movie Elf is is the focus of our Panning for Good segment today for two reasons. First of all, it is one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. We tend to watch it every year. And uh, this is one of my favorite scenes that Cole is is playing off of YouTube right now. And the reason I play this scene in particular is because uh, the panning for good segment is also going to... I'm also going to use it today to talk about a missed opportunity that I'm very ashamed at myself for. Is it the opportunity to wait till December before we talk about Christmas movies? No. Okay. That was me. Um... I'm sitting at my desk the other day, and I'm there at 6.30 in the morning, and we have these wonderful uh, custodial people that come in, and they, they're up at super early hours cleaning the buildings. There's somebody I can hear in the next room. It's the conference room, and they're singing this song, and I thought, wouldn't it be great if I just start singing the Will Ferrell part of this, and then all of a sudden peek my head in and do what Will Ferrell's going to do here in a second and sing, baby, it's cold outside, and see what kind of reaction uh, she had. But I never never had that opportunity. There it is. 
And uh, I, I should say that this woman was not in the shower when she was singing this. Um, but shortly after she started singing, she opened the door and kind of, I could see out of my peripheral vision, she uh, poked her head through the door. I think she was trying to see if anybody could hear her singing because after that she didn't sing as loudly. But I thought, oh, this is yet another movie moment that was it would have been such a great opportunity to recreate it. And I blew it. There's another one from Tommy Boy that we can talk about another time. I think I may have already mentioned it, but it had to do with the scene where he comes out after taking his test and saying, I got a D plus. I'm going to graduate. Missed opportunities here on Screen Cleaning. That should be a new segment, Missed Opportunities. I am proud to say that I brought up Christmas in November. I have no problem with that. And we'll be talking more about Christmas in the weeks to come as we approach that special holiday here on Screen Cleaning. BYU Sports Nation is up next. Thanks for joining us.